This is the Barbecue Central Radio Show, which is recorded live each Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Barbecue Central Radio Show is being brought to you by The Barbecue Guru, the original creators of automatic temperature control devices, now offering four different models for you to choose from. Rest easy knowing that The Barbecue Guru is controlling your temperature so you can get on with your life. Visit BBQGuru.com or call 800-288-GURU for more information. And by Fred's Music and Tasty Licks BBQ Supply, your online barbecue and grilling superstore. From cookers to grills, wood chips and chunks, and everything in between, also be sure to try the Tasty Licks barbecue brand of rubs and sauces. Check Fred out online at TastyLicksBBQ.com. And by Stephen DeFranco Jewelers. Located in beautiful Willoughby, Ohio, Stephen DeFranco Jewelers is a family-owned and operated business looking to service the great folks of the barbecue and grilling world. Get free shipping and big discounts by mentioning my name and the term Barbecue Brother. Check out their inventory by visiting stephendefranco.com. And by Butcher Barbecue, with 30 years of experience in retail, wholesale, meat markets, food service, and customer service. Using that experience, everything they do and sell at Butcher's Barbecue comes from real-world knowledge. Check out their award-winning spices, sauces, marinades, and injections by visiting ButcherBBQ.com. Always trust your butcher. And by the Barbecue Institute. Take your barbecue to the next level with the Barbecue Institute class. Pitmaster Conrad Teddy Bear Haskins uses his years of catering and restaurant experience combined with food science and smoking secrets to help you understand how to improve your barbecue. Visit BBQInstitute.com and register for classes today. And by Green Mountain Grills. Discover something you'll really, really love. Grilling with pellets. Green Mountain Pellet Grills are the top of the line, best of the best, but not the highest in price. And be sure to check out all of their flavor rubs, sauces, and pellets for the Green Mountain Grill all on their website. Visit GreenMountainGrills.com to peruse the entire product's portfolio. And buy Barbecuer's Delight Wood Pellets, two-thirds oak, one-third flavor wood, giving you that perfect combination of BTU burn and sweet succulent smoke you're looking to get all over your meat. A wide variety of flavors, so please go to the website to check it out and get yours today. Barbecuers Delight, which is bbqrsdelight.com. Hey, this is Helen Paradise from SoCal, and you are listening to the Barbecue Central Show. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the light fluid on, strike the match, and... Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. Good evening. Welcome to the really big barbecue central show, ladies and gentlemen. The show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. Broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. Rapidly becoming known as the barbecue capital of the North Coast. 
I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday. If you would care to jump in on the show tonight, you especially, talking to you. You can do it one of two different ways. Toll free, 877-448-0433. You can also email the show, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. And it's a big one tonight, i got to be honest. We have, well, uh, technically speaking, four guests. We have uh, one guest in the first hour, and then the second hour. We'll get to that here in a second. Literally could blow the proverbial minds of many people listening out there today. If you don't get the newsletter, do yourself a favor. First and foremost, before we get into anything else tonight, head on over to the Barbecue Central Radio Network's homepage. The BBQCentralShow.com. And then sign up for the newsletter. We've got a couple hundred spots left. And basically, what you get in its essence at this point is a heads up every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as to what is going to be going on in the show. Now, obviously, if you follow me on Facebook or you follow me on Twitter or any of the other uh, social media style outlets, you might get brought up to speed a little bit. You know, some people aren't into that. Some people don't do Facebook, some people don't do Twitter social media, I maintain to this day that if I didn't have this show, I would not be on Facebook, I would not be on Twitter, because look, quite frankly, I do not lead that exciting of a life. I mean, as much as I would like to pretend otherwise, I don't. So I wouldn't want to share a bunch of other stuff with everybody else that doesn't care about me. But because we have the show, we want to make sure we're reaching the wide, vast audience of people that are interested in barbecue and grilling, and that's why I do it. So if you Facebook, go ahead. You can find me there. Uh, barbecue Central Radio Show has got its own the fan page. Uh, if you friend me personally, uh, which is facebook.com slash greg.rempy, I believe. If it's not just one word, uh, I will accept your friendship. I don't uh, disqualify anybody unless it's a straight-up uh, blatant uh, porno. Won't accept you at that point. I will go look through and see... Who you are friends with, and if I'm friends with them, that's a little vetting I do. But really, I'm not that strict or stringent when it comes to friends on Facebook. So please feel free. Friend me up if you want to. Follow me on Twitter. That's even better. Don't even have to accept you there. You choose to follow me. You're opting in to listen to my drivel. And there you go. Here's what's happening on the show. If you haven't signed up for the newsletter, and again, go ahead and sign up for it if you haven't, thebbqcentralshow.com. Coming up in about 11 minutes from now... A guy that I had, was finally able to meet in person when I attended the Sam's Club tour event, KCBS-related. And that was probably going on a month ago. They were down in Canton, Ohio. KCBS was down in Canton, Ohio for the Sam's Club event down there at the, the Sam's Club on uh, like Pershing Avenue or whatever the hell it's called. Right there in the main, uh, main area, just north of town. And Mike, Michael McDearman runs the grilling tour portion of that. And if you're not familiar with how the Sam's Club thing works, so obviously you have the KCBS contest that we'll talk about here in a second, but you also have a Troy Black doing the slow and low barbecue thing as a demonstration to the, the crowd that's there. And then you have Michael McDearman doing uh, the hot and fast grilling aspect of it. So we got him at least for one segment. Could stretch to two. If not, we'll fill in. And then second hour... We reprise the Barbecue Roundtable Brisket Edition competition style. And the three top teams, as KCBS has it scored right now, will be in. Big T's Q Crew, Little Pig Town, Q Wow, all in. 
So, and, and that could be done via a Skype video as well. So lots of great things happening. And uh, here we go. Let me uh, quickly check in and see who's in the chat room. Uh, Whiskey Bent, uh, who had another great show. Good job, Tavis. Don G is in. Sylvie is in. Mojo Bricks. Nibble Me This. Gone Hog and the usual suspects in the chat room. So if you want to go on to the OutdoorCookingChannel.com and jump in and partake in some of that conversation that typically has nothing to do with the show or is just making fun of me, feel free. Jump in. Uh, so we have the Barbecue Roundtable Brisket Edition coming up in the second hour. There's your show, 877-440-433. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. Survey Tuesday, here we go. One of the first and only times we'll do Survey Tuesday tonight. Look, the Olympics started last Friday. Got to know, because in, in this house, mine, Olympics are big. We watch it all, all the time, 24 and 7, 365 days. Well, actually, 24, 7, 16, because it's 16 days. Do you watch any of the Olympics? Did you watch the Olympics this weekend? There you go. Secondly, question number two, what sport or event is your favorite if you're watching? What are you really waiting for? And question number three, best meal you had this weekend? Nothing to do with it. Could be Olympics related, I guess. But what is the best meal that you had this weekend? All right. A big competition coming up this weekend in Rockford, Illinois. The Sam's Club Regional takes place. Ten teams will move on. The top ten from this weekend taking place in Rockford will move on to the finals. Of course, there's 50 teams overall that will take place in the finals. The first regional round took place on May 12th in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And the top ten teams to move on from there were Who's Smoking Now, Grills Gone Wild, Iowa, The Smoking Hills, Route 66 Catering Crew, Sin City Smokers, R&R Barbecue, Trailhound Smokers Barbecue, Smoking Triggers, Lil Max Barbecue, and Piggy D's. So those were the first ten to move on, and that was a long time ago now. I mean, by the time they cooked that final, now, they might cook times before that. However, uh... From when they took place in May, I mean, it could be, it's going to be almost uh, four, it's going to be almost five months, almost to the day, because I believe the finals is uh, October 13th. That's right, in Bentonville, Arkansas. Let me quickly go over here. Um, let's see. Don Awesome, glad to hear it. Greg, thanks, brother. Gone sweet. Um, where are we at here? Uh, gymnastics. Chad with the men's gymnastics. Wait a second. I think. Uh, I think my man, Senor Chang, has something to say about that, Chad. <laughs> Just kidding. No offense. And I believe they choked it out. That sounded weird, too. That sounded... <laughs> made... Where is it? Where, 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 where? Gymna- uh, lobster roll in the Northeast. Oh, right. On the internet, no access to cable this week. If you watch the Olympics... Oh, uh, here's Mojo Bricks recapping for me and uh, coming to Rockford. See, right. So we'll go over those. So those were your top ten uh, first round. Uh, second round regionals, again, take place this weekend, May 12th. So we'll see who gets, uh, I'm sorry, moves on this weekend, which would be August, whatever, 4th. This week, you know, this, this one. 
top 10 will move on from there. They will meet the existing top 10 that moved on from Albuquerque, and then there are three more regional events slated for the rest of September. September 15th in Chesapeake, Virginia. That's a Commonwealth. September 22nd, Hendersonville, Tennessee. And September 29th, St. Charles, Missouri. Now, the one coming up this weekend I have a personal place in my heart for because that's the uh, that was one of the Canton locals that moved on to that regional. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, and then again, the finals take place October 13th in Bentonville, Arkansas. Man, I don't even I have a less than a minute to get to the story. Maybe you didn't see it, but let me uh, post it up here for you so you can see. Did you know, ladies and gentlemen, that the Weber Kettle is born 1952. It's 60 years old. If you can believe it, this is the uh, Weber Time Machine, a stroll down memory lane. And this was born from a buoy. Stevens was working at a Weber Brother Metalworks in Chicago, manufacturing marine buoys when he came up with the idea for a grill. Basically, he cut it in half, uh, added some air vents, and bam, you have your, uh, your Weber kettle. And then it goes on. If you want that link, I'll go ahead and uh, email it over to you so you can check it out yourself. But very interesting to see you know, how it's changed over the last number of years into the 70s, 80s. My, see this gas grill right here? My dad and my twin brother had this gas grill as our first Weber Genesis. My brother still might have it floating around somewhere. So Performer was born in 1990. Remember the Performer, right? Those things go on sale at the end of the year. And then uh, lots of great stuff. Lots of great trips down memory lane, all that great stuff. So uh, happy birthday to the Weber Kettle. Very happy for the Weber Kettle. Hope I get to 60. Fingers crossed. Gang, let me tell you quickly about Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply. Look, we talk about it all the time. Unsavory businesses out there on the Internet, they're looking to get your money. They're not looking to help you out in any form or fashion in regards to getting your product there and to there, I mean, to you on time. They might screw you out of your money. They might promise you a great price, but they really have no ability to get it and secure that inventory. So they take your money and they hold it while they hope they can find a better sale somewhere else and then fill your order at a later date. Let Fred Bernardo and the gang over Tasty Licks Barbecue relieve you of all of these internet buying stresses, it's really not worth it. Tasty Licks has one of the most complete inventories of barbecue and grilling equipment anywhere on the face of the earth. And all of them are in stock right there at Chillington, Pennsylvania location. Available to ship to you directly. Now, as we talked about, are there other places that you can find them cheaper? Are they going to get to you? I don't know. How long could it take to get to you? Who knows? You don't have to worry about that when you're dealing with Fred. They carry grill smokers, ceramic cookers, electric cookers, various charcoal types, wood chunks, chips, cookbooks, accessories. If they don't have it, you don't need it. And on top of all of that, Fred carries many of the other show sponsors in his store as well. So you're almost doing like this two for one. Shopping at a sponsor, buying sponsors products. It's the best of both, best of both worlds. And don't forget that uh, Tasteless has their own uh, brand of award-winning competition barbecue rubs and sauces as well. So check those out. There's also a brisket class coming up very shortly, so TastyLicksBBQ.com is a place you want to go to check that out. Uh, it might be no cost or just minimal cost, and Fred is winning on the competition circuit, so it might be worth a, a hop over. He's, he's got a reserve grand underneath his belt. 
In any event, again, head on over to TastyLigsBBQ.com. Let the confidence exude from you as you make your online purchases. Take the classes that he offers. Eat the food. They cook all the time over there. They're egghead experts. They're experts. And then enjoy your items upon delivery. Don't forget that Fred and the gang are there to help you after the sale as well, which is very important. TastyLicksBBQ.com. Go now! Sign up for that brisket class, especially if you're in the Philly area. It's right there. I'll talk a little bit more about the Weber Kettle, get a little more in-depth on the third segment, depending on what Michael does here. But we'll, we'll grab Michael coming up out of the break. Stick around. We'll be right back. Live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, uh, just shy of 14 past the hour. 877-448-0433. We're going to grab uh, Michael McDermott here in a second. Don't forget, coming up in the second hour... And I've realized this is like all beef, all the time show. We have a grilling coming up here with Michael. And then in the 10 o'clock hour, it's the barbecue brisket roundtable competition style. Three of the top pit, well, the three top pit masters when it comes to brisket will join me 10 o'clock. Uh, but first, my first guest tonight travels around this great country teaching people how to grill better. If you have a Sam's Club tour event near you, check it out. You can see him in action. Let's go ahead and uh, race over to the hotline, grab the Grill Master for the American Grill Master Experience. Let's welcome Michael McDearman to the show. Michael, how are you, buddy? I'm uh, doing absolutely fabulous, Michael, and I uh, appreciate you joining me. Can you uh, just say hi again real quick? I think I, I might have lost you somewhere. All right, hold on a second. There we go. I think I got you now. Audio uh, technical difficulty on my end. It's nothing. It has nothing to do with you. All right, Michael. So again, I appreciate you taking time for the show. And before we get into this beef, before we get into grilling any of this high temperature stuff, I follow you on the internet. I stalk you secretly. Well, now I guess the cat's out of the bag. You're a self-admitted big Tennessee Volunteers fan. You live in Cookville. Now, look, we kind of tie in all of a sudden. The Browns are in the process of being sold to Jimmy Haslam. Should we as Browns fans be excited to have this guy own the Cleveland Browns and bring us to the potential promised land? I tell you, he knows football. He's over at the practice field all the time at UT. Uh, so as a potential owner of a NFL franchise, this is somebody that, I mean, obviously he's got ties well into UT. I mean, his dad... Uh, follows all the way back there. He was a player for UT. But he has a, a minority share in uh, Pittsburgh right now, so he'll sell that. And, and obviously, so when they come here and finalize it, you would be enthralled if you were in my shoes to get an owner like this versus the one that we have right now and, and Randy Lerner, who who is we've really never, ever seen him ever before in his life during ownership here. Well, I tell you, you have a hands-on active family. Whatever they do, they definitely get involved and roll up their sleeves whether it's the governorship of Tennessee or, or a pilot oil or, or University of Tennessee. All right. Well, I'm uh, very anxious to see this whole thing go through so we can finally move ahead to the, or at least above the travesty that have been the Browns ever since they've returned in 1998. All right. So, uh, Michael, for the people who don't know you, a little bit of background about yourself and how you got involved in this whole barbecue and grilling thing before we get into the, the grilling experience. Well, a lot of my stories go back to when I was seven years old, and I said, Mom, Dad, I want a motorcycle. <laughs> they looked at me funny and said, all right, we'll call this bluff. 
you want a motorcycle, go earn the money for it. So I became one of the youngest paper boys ever, and I'm slinging newspapers. Being a curious kid, I tug on pants legs and say, hey, what you doing? That was just my style following my dad around. There was a neighbor actually outside cooking, and I found myself riding my bike past, slowing down, breathing a little deeper. And uh, his cooking actually was was, uh, preparation for a competition. I had stopped off, and he gave me 15 minutes of his time. Wound up, it was Tony Stone, past president of the KCBS. And uh, by the time I was eight years old, I wound up finishing dinner before my parents got home. We'd do hamburger patties and veggies and that kind of thing. But my culinary skills, I've been cooking for 34 years now and and, uh, doing everything from designing smokers, Featherbrook smokers, to to, uh, catering and everything in, in between. Uh, well, it it came along the opportunity to to get the best seat in the house for some of the top barbecue cooks in the country every week, and sit there and, and not shig them, but appreciate what they do. And uh, I have been on the American Grillmaster Experience for this is the second year now. Last year we did a good run, and this year we've got nine straight months on the road. Is it safe to say that Tony is the one that kind of got you into this barbecue and, and grilling stuff, too? Or did you do a lot of that just at home? I mean, you know, Tennessee, obviously considered to, to be a portion of the South. you got a lot of uh, good barbecue meccas considered to be there, especially Memphis. So is, is that something you just kind of grew up around all your life? You know, it, it, uh, Tony took the time, and he inspired me. And that was that aha moment that triggered it all. Um, and as far as, as uh, before he passed... Uh, you know, he knew that, and I was I was happy he found that out. But uh, as far as the cooking and, and tutelage and all that, all the stuff that, that I picked up has been uh, through family, friends, and, and just like everybody else, observing and trying and uh, failing a few times and, and uh, figuring it out. Michael McDearman joining me here on the show. If you want to find out a little bit more about him in relation to the Grillmaster Tour, just go to the website grillmastertour.com. And, uh, you know, the Sam's Club Tour now on its second year as a whole doing very well as far as popularity and now giving us, you know, this both sides of this experience. you got Troy Black with the low and slow stuff, and then you have the, the high heat grilling stuff with the Grillmaster Tour experience. Bottom line, because I'm somebody that loves to revel in other people's success and excitement, how do you get this gig? Because it seems like it's got to be one of the best things ever. <laughs> Probably only six people I know of traveling around the barbecue circuit, and two of the tours have two people on them. So there's there's only three or four tours that are like this. So it's not something you find in the classifieds. Uh, so were you contacted by you know KCBS? Is this an MMA thing? Uh, how do you, how do you go about getting contacted? And was it just offered out to you specifically, or did you have to try out for it and, and do like auditions? Not necessarily like TV audition stuff, but did they want you to, to kind of show your chops? You know, I've showed my chops uh, for about twenty years. I've known Mike McLeod and MMA. Um, the uh, the MMA offices are out of Cookville, Tennessee, and mm-hmm. and they are the uh, marketing marketing firm of record, I think is the phrase, yep. for the KCBS and, and uh, the American Grillmaster Experience is put together by uh, MMA Tribe as well as uh, they have a, a hand in the Sam's Club Tour and, and uh, the Royal and some other events that you would definitely recognize. So are, are they the only decision makers as far as this portion of the tour or was there a, a collaborative, yes, let's go ahead and introduce the, the high heat and the, the low and slow at the same time to the American public? 
you know, I think that it's a perfect blend and opportunity to teach the public. And there are two aspects, you know, and, and ask any competition cook. And we definitely think barbecue is, is something different. You know, you go out to California and they think barbecue is, is grilling. And, you know, it's, it's just a difference in terminology and, and putting that word out there and teaching different techniques so folks can get actually fantastic restaurant quality food at home and start to understand and grow the sport and, and also take some pressure off of these cooks that are competing for the largest prize pool in the country of 500 grand. Michael McDermott joining me here on the show. Grillmastertour.com is the website if you want to kind of check it out there. Um, let me ask you this since you kind of broached it. And I, I didn't even think about asking it, but since you kind of brought it up, I'd like to get a little bit more in-depth uh, answer from you. And it basically comes to the definitions in your eyes or what your stance on what is barbecue, what is grilling. Do you find barbecue as like an, an all-encompassing whole where other items fall underneath it? Or do you think that these are just two uh, completely discernible and different cooking methods and, and one is this way and one is that way? You know, I think it's a situation where there's no magic number where you say, okay, at 300 degrees and below, it's going to be barbecue, and 301 and above, it's grilling. But I do think that the approach and technique of a barbecue tends to be a slower process and, and um, a longer uh, uh, exposure to the heat and breaking down of those connective tissues and things. And the grill inside is, is going to be hotter and faster, and, and uh, not necessarily, I don't necessarily promote the... Um, 1600 degree steering and like that. I actually have a unique spin that I taught the two time and reigning world champs, junior world champs, uh, how to cook steak. So it's, it's a little bit uh, different approach there. So I'm sort of in the middle ground with my uh, grilling temperatures as opposed to the high heat searing. But I definitely appreciate the barbecue being that old, low, and, you know, even cold smoke. You've got cold smoke even below barbecue. So. All right, Mike, so you're on the road nine months out of the year. Is it safe to say then that the Grillmaster Tour is your, your quote-unquote full-time job, or are you holding something else down in conjunction while you're out on the road? You know, I've been called the busiest man in barbecue. Um, <laughs> I write for the Barbecue Times, the KCBS Bullsheet, also grillingwithrich.com. I have my own company, Get Fired Up Foods. Feel free to check us out on Facebook if you like. And that has underneath it some... Uh, great things that we've got coming up and actually some game changers i think was your phrase for it um when we met up in canton are we, we allowed, are we allowed to talk about that a, yet are we going to when are we going to be able to talk about that thing that thing's going to be awesome i'm sorry when, say that again? when are we going to be able to talk about the game changer uh actually we'll be able to talk about the game changer this fall oh can't wait you got to come on the show to talk about it uh when you're going to introduce it but I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I was very excited to hear about it when we were in Canton, and then you brought it up again. I got very excited again. Well, I'm looking forward to it, too, and I know some teams out there are chomping at the bit to oh, get sure. into it as well. About. We've got, uh, you know, I, I produce uh, an ugly drum smoker kit and some other things we're, we're getting cranked up for. Uh, well, let's say this, too. Barbecue TV, I've got uh, a 10-video cookbook coming out this fall. I've got a cookbook app coming out in the winter. I could book calendar as well for a fundraiser for uh, an orphanage as well as some, uh, some, some uh, pet uh, uh, not-for-profits. And, you know, anyway, bottom line is I keep my uh, feet moving. No moss is growing under my feet. And then I do the load in and load out and manage the tour as well as, as uh, perform on Saturdays. 
There you go. Grillmastertour.com is the website. We're talking to Michael McDearman, who does uh, the grilling portion of it uh, for the Sam's Club Tour events. All right, so you're in front of the crowd on Saturdays and you know, getting to see you work with the public. Um, maybe you didn't realize how much I was kind of you know, hanging around the booth and seeing. You know, it, it interests me to see somebody like yourself who you know, we kind of know each other through some Internet talk and this and that, and we finally get to meet each other at Canton. But then to see you actually get into you know, Michael McDearman mode and Grillmaster mode and talk to the public and you got the microphone on and you're telling people what everything is going on. What are the biggest points that you are trying to hit on Saturdays when you're doing these demos for the public? That you can get a forty or fifty dollar steak at home for eight or nine dollars, <laughs> and you can you can get high quality food at home for a, a great healthy approach as well. You know the twenty nine lean cuts to beef, getting across that three are actually approved by the American Heart Association and shocked a lot of people. You know, they're giving it to marathon runners where they're trying to give them good uh, energy protein to finish the race. And uh, that is one of my sponsors, Beef It's What's for Dinner. Also McCormick, Heinz, and, and Bull Grills as well, Bull Outdoor Products. So when I'm trying to get things across, it's it's teaching technique. It's helping them understand that, that uh, char and burning stuff is not necessarily how you grill. And showing them that the hot and fast approach actually they miss out on 6 to 9% of the moisture in a steak if they sear it. Destroying that outer shell and that outer structure of the, um, the meat actually wicks away moisture. It does seal the juices in, but it doesn't leave the juices. When I show them, hands-on, here you go, and, and uh, taste it, and, and they get the full exposure of, say, a food TV, but they get to ask questions and get to actually get involved and, and understand the problems that they may face and things that they can overcome. Just going straight from the fridge to the grill instead of leaving your meat out to warm up reduces your flare-ups. But for the backyard griller, they're going to be fantastic just getting that, and their their food's going to be improved just doing those. So there's a number of, of different ways and things that we go through and try and uh, get five different recipes across to them. So you you said you you would advise people to go from the refrigerator right to the grill. I'll walk you through what I talk. You know, I'll, I'll tell you a little story real Please. quick. Yeah. Um, Woodbury, Woodbury, Minnesota, last year I was on the tour, and and had these two young men walk up in Boy Scout uniforms. And my grandfather, he actually uh, doled out benefits for the Veterans Administration in Nashville for a long time and taught me at an early age to, to respect the uniform and, uh, you know, not just the military but the police, the fire. And, but when you see those Boy Scouts walking in their uniforms, you notice them. And they're walking up with a young lady who's uh, in teens and, and very nicely dressed, all prim and proper the way they came up. And, and they humbly come up soft-spoken and they ask, would, would you mind sharing some steak secrets? <laughs> I glanced at my watch, and it was a Friday afternoon on the Sam's tour, so I had a little time. I said, how much time you got? <laughs> so for the next four and a half, or five hours, we spend going over, and I walked them into the store and went over meat selection and walked them through the process. But essentially, I taught them these few things. Go straight from the fridge to the grill. It'll reduce your flare-ups because the soft white fat mistake is actually going to render out. And if you warm it up, it'll render out faster and then create your flare-up issues. Then four steps to a perfect steak, and this is what I share with the public every weekend, and it's what they won the world championships with. Two years running. I'm so proud of those kids. 
they're up to close to $50,000 in college scholarship money on wow. And they're just fantastic cooks. Um, but the first step, preheat your grill to 325. Now, that medium heat on most gas grills and even on charcoal, no matter what your heat source is or how you prefer to cook it, it's still medium heat. When you do that, you're going to leave 6 to 9% more moisture in that meat. Second step, five to seven minutes on a cleaned, oiled grill grate. You're going to leave it that first side in place, and the proteins are going to release those sugars and caramelize and get you great grill marks on a clean grill grate at 325 to 350. The third step, and I use my thermopin, um, I flip it over and cook the second side until it's an internal temperature of 142 degrees. Now, the people are going to scratch and go, boy, he's getting all scientific. <laughs> well, I have to get to 145 to be medium rare and cook through temperature. It's like grandma's cookies. You know, they take them out the oven and put them up on top of the stove so they finish browning up on top of the stove away from the heat. You're going to do that with your meat, too. You're going to take it off the grill, and it's going to rise up three to six degrees cook-through temperature right. as you let it rest, which is the final step, letting it rest for five to seven minutes. And that five to seven minutes allows all those juices that have run to the middle of that steak you know, they've rushed in there. You want to let it rest, and that muscle will relax, and then those juice to stay in the fibers instead of filling out on your plate and giving you pink potatoes, because I know we've all had those. Now, when you are giving this prescription to cook, are you telling them this is for X cut of steak and, and it's this thick, or is that applicable to a skirt steak, to a, uh, a regular... T-bone and a rib I'm, steak or whatever. I'm demoing everything from plank steak to ribeyes, New York strips, and uh, different. I'm actually putting garlic on the outside, so we're roasting the garlic. If you burn garlic, it turns bitter. So basically, I'm laying the gauntlet down with my ingredients, with sesame seed crust and, and garlic on the outside of a steak. And I'm saying, here's the technique. You can use it on anything from a, an inch thick um uh, a flank steak on up to a burger, it doesn't matter. The burgers, you want to get up since it's ground meat and you didn't actually grind it yourself. You mm -hmm. want to get it up to 100. Uh, that's just USDA guidelines. Sure. But anyway, as far as the um, the steaks go, absolutely. I think it's it's a matter of having a little bit of of understanding that that five to seven minutes is, is cooking the first side, and that's going to create your grill marks. Then you're going to flip it. And the secret really is going to internal temperature. And every competition cook out there knows we're getting in the ballpark of where we want to be with our piece of meat when we have a certain um, internal temperature. So when the home cook understands that, then their cooking is going to be more reliable. They're not going to be poking on their hand and, and guessing and questioning, you know, is, is it really done? Well, my hat, my hand's a skinny hand. Well, it's not going to be as fat as, as some folks out there. I'm a skinny cook. So poking on my hand is not going to have the same feel as other people when they poke on that steak. So the best thing to do is to go to internal temperature. When you're cooking that second side to an internal temperature, it takes all the guesswork out of it, and you don't have to worry necessarily about steak. Well, I think a lot of people get hung up in the backyard because, A, they watch a lot of Food Network with a lot of people that uh, think they know what they're talking about. But they've been also ingrained or brainwashed that you have to have proper crosshatch of grill marks on both sides of the steak, but you're basically saying do that grill mark thing on the first side, and then when you flip it over, because that's going to be the side you're going to uh, present up 
cook it to the internal temperature on the second time. And are you worried about that crosshatch on the on the underside, or you don't really care too much after that? I don't go for an X. I go for one set of great grill marks. You eat with your eyes, and we've sort of been sold a bill of goods, like bottled water and going on dating with uh, other bottled things. And, and uh, you know, you sit there with, with uh, selling the sizzle on some of the food shows. They really are trying to get ratings, in my opinion. You go with an Alton Brown, more of a food science guy, and he actually teaches this same technique. All right, Michael McDermott joining me here on the show. Michael, uh, are you uh, you okay to stay for another segment? Oh, absolutely. I'm here with you. All right, so uh, do me a favor. Just kind of relax and hang back for a couple minutes. I'm going to do a quick read for the Barbecue Guru, and then we'll uh, pick up the conversation with Michael McDermott, grillmastertour.com. If you want to check him out during the break. But first, let me talk to you about the longest-running sponsor of the show, the Barbecue Guru. Located in Warminster, Pennsylvania, if you've been thinking about automatic pit temperature control devices for your cookers, stop here. This is the company that started it all. They are creators of this technology, so why would you buy from any other company? I have no idea. Now, if you're not familiar with how these beauties work, uh, I'm not going to get into this huge minutia, but imagine this product that when you set a pit temperature... Once it's set, it keeps running that pit at the temperature you set it at all the way through the cook. It's not too good to be true. It's real-life technology. You can take advantage of it today. Plus, you can take advantage of cutting-ed technology with this CyberQ Wi-Fi. So if you have access to Wi-Fi, I believe it also generates its own Wi-Fi signal. So if you have, and really, who doesn't these days? If you don't have a smartphone or a laptop or a tablet or a netbook or something. Yeah, well, I guess you're SOL, but most people have those, especially people on the circuit or tech geeks at home. You have the ability to not have to roll out of bed in the middle of the night to check where your pit temperature is, to check where your internal temperature of your meats are. You don't have to do that anymore. All you have to do is fire up the phone, fire up your laptop in the bedroom or wherever the case may be, launch that web page associated with a CyberQ Wi-Fi, and now you have the ability to see where the temperature's at in the pit, where the temperatures are, of the, in, the internal temperatures of the meat, and you can do up to three meats at the same time. So maybe you're cooking a little faster. You don't want to wake up at 8 a.m. in the morning or 9 a.m. in the morning to get all this stuff starting to rest in the cooler. You want to stretch it out a little bit. Dial that temperature back. You can sleep in a little longer. Barbecue Guru has now extended your sleep time, made you a much more bearable person to deal with in the morning. Now, on top of that, they also have one of the best cookers on the market called the Onyx Oven. It's an award-winning competition cooker that has proven itself on the competition circuit as well as in backyards all over the country. It's fully insulated, holds a ton of meat, accommodates half and full pans for food service, works seamlessly with the Barbecue Guru temperature control devices, obviously. So do yourself a favor. Head on over to thebbqguru.com. Check out their products. If you have any questions on what to order, you call them directly, 800-288-GURU. That's G-U-R-U. They will make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box. If you have technical support questions after the fact, again, call them, 800-288-GURU, or you can visit them at thebbqguru.com. It's the Barbecue Guru, a breakthrough in barbecue technology. All right, we're going to come back with Michael McDearman talking uh, more beef. It's beef night here on the show, believe it or not. Stick around. We'll be right back. Get in the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. Big B, Moonshine Band. 
right, welcome back. 877-448-0433. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com is the email address in case you want to get in touch with me. And we pick our conversation back up with Michael McDearman, GoMasterTour.com. He's the guy doing the high heat stuff over in the Sam's Club Tours. Michael, where are you going to be at this uh, this weekend? Oh, I am in Rockford, oh. Illinois. All right. I'm already drooling over these teams. If you take a list of those teams, it is just insane what's going to be going on in Rockford. Uh, you know, you've got the Q Owls coming in, the True Buds. You know, you look at this team list, and it's just off the hook. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I could go down the whole 30-team list, and you'd be sitting there going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's going to be a lucky time for those judges. They're going to be eating a lot of fantastic, uh, fantastic Q. Now, you know, some of before we get in too far in this, I want to go back just a little bit on the cooking techniques. Please. You know, Greg, with with, um, with cooking, we're trying to also explain a little bit more about competition barbecue and share with them what's going on out there. And uh, with my sponsor, Heinz, we're using the Heinz 57 sauce, but a lot of competition cooks, you know, they're using their base sauces and making them their own with their apple juice and maybe a, a peach nectar or something they're adding to it or, or honey or who knows what. But... Um, trying to get the, the folks at home to understand what they're seeing on Barbecue Pitmasters and other shows and and taking, say, a Heinz 57 and, and making it their own and, and adding things to it like garlic, cumin, and chili powder and, and making a good Southwest glaze with half and half butter to the – just getting them to think outside the box and go, you know, I really can do what I see on TV. And it's right there in front of me. It's, it's, it's not that hard, and it sure tastes good. So when we're trying to do that, and, and you know, McCormick Grillmates, I use that Montreal uh, steak seasoning on my own competition brisket. Oh. I want to share folks and, and to hear what they do, too. And then they're willing to share their recipes. And it's just a good interactive um, interactive thing about grilling. But anyway, as far as, as getting to this Rockford, Illinois thing, um, I want to talk about what I think is probably, and I've got a front row seat every weekend of this stuff. Right. I think this is probably the best comeback or recovery story ever. I really think it's that strong. Big T's Q, and you got him on later, don't you? Yeah, we got the Big T's Q crew. We have Q Wow, and we also have Little Pig Town in for the brisket roundtable second hour. You know, and, and Big T's over in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. Now, you may have heard through the scuttlebutt that uh, his meat got disqualified. Yeah. And at 9.30 in the morning, DQ meat <laughs> has to start totally over. Comes in second in brisket. That's a strong, <laughs> strong cook to pull off of brisket in, what, three and a half, four hours? And uh, that's definitely something. I'm glad you got him on. He. he Giving right giving there. a whole new term to the uh, phrase hot and fast, evidently. <laughs> it sure did. But you know what? When uh, when he went through it, you look at, at uh, the whole Madison scorecard. Uh, chicken, ninth place. Ribs, sixth. Pork, tenth. Brisket, second. Uh, to last year's Sam's Club winner, uh, Tippy Canoe, you know, Joe Beelan. Yep. And overall, to get a fourth and to, to make it on to the next round. It's definitely interesting when I'm sitting on this every weekend. You know, you get to go to different places. Des Moines, I just left Des Moines last week and got to go to Smokey D's restaurant there. And, of course, you know, Barbecue Pitmasters and Kingsford checked up on the wall. And, oh, yeah. And uh, just in way with a uh, grand championship this week in yep. Mason City with only one call. Talk about consistent cooking to get that GC. 
And then they out of that restaurant, they've actually got three teams with different head cooks making it to the regionals. Yeah. One's going to be in St. Charles. That's going to be Darren with Iowa Smoky D's. But then his other two teams are going to be in Rockford, as I understand it. Um, you know, out of one restaurant, getting three cook teams to be able to move on like that, that's pretty impressive. And then Austin, Texas, was probably one of my favorite stories with Franklin's Barbecue. Now, Aaron Franklin, off of Barbecue Pitmasters, he was one of the judges with Myron and Puppy. And Aaron has been open about two and a half years with this restaurant. Mm-hmm. And every day he's been open, he has sold out of his meat. He has not had one day with leftovers. It's a fantastic story, and he's in bricks and mortar down on 11th now in Austin. I went down there at 9.30 in the morning and just wanted to see what all the, the hustle and bustle was about. Got there at 9.30, I was already 25th in line. Wow. The place didn't open till 11. <laughs> and salt and pepper on that brisket, fantastic stuff. Now, out of that restaurant, too, his right-hand man moved on to the regionals, and it'll be up in St. Charles, Missouri at the regionals for the same. So, Every weekend, I'm in a new place and and look forward to to trying new things. I mean, it's just uh, finding different restaurants. Like in Madison, we went to the Tornado Club, you know, an old political sort of feel to it right across from the Capitol building. And it's just a fantastic tour to get out there and and meet people and, and eat. All this good beef. <laughs> Michael McDermott joining me here on the show, grillmastertour.com. Uh, if you have a Sam's Club event that's coming around to you, make sure that you go check out the experience itself. But then you know, hit up Michael, uh, see what Troy does, uh, because this, these are people kind of uh, disseminating great information to the public to make the, uh, the public a little bit more educated on how they can barbecue and grill better in their own backyards. All right, so if I'm giving you a $500 check and my G4 Lear to our Gulfstream to go fly out in Vegas this weekend. Who, who do you want to bet on to take Grand Championship? It's my you know, money, too. It's my money and my jet. On that. <laughs> what do you think? You know, I've sat across from QL, and they've come strong. They're on a hot streak right now. Oh, and, yeah. And they just, in the in the national barbecue rankings, I know that they're uh, putting some pressure on a couple teams to to be right up there at the top top performers, I tell you. But you look down through those 30 teams, it's anybody's ball game. It really is. It, it depends on uh, they, the cook, and, and which judges, you know, consistent judges you get put in front of. Yeah, and the top 10 will move on to the final out there in uh, Bentonville. So, uh, Michael, well, i got a last couple minutes here with you. You know, you're, you're talking to people in the public when you're out there with the Sam's Club proper technique and you know your particular uh, recipe of making sure that they're cooking steaks properly and, and getting the best quality and taste out of them at home what kind of essential tools do people need as well because i mean you can tell them to buy the meat you can give them the recipe but if they don't have the right tools are probably falling on their face a little bit you know a good set of tongs and and uh, a meat thermometer and i go with the digital meat thermometer but uh, you're looking for a quicker read so you don't lose your heat off your grill. But a good quality grill, too. And, and this is where representing bull grills is easy because they've got consistent heat. Now, typically in the gas grills, you're going to have a front and a back cyclone is what I call it. So you've got convection tornadoes going. And the hotter one's going to be in the back of the grill. And once they understand that, that they can cook uh, to their 
temperature gauge on the front of their grill typically, then they'll be consistent and good. It's just a matter of having you a roast beef sandwich since it's beef night, having a roast beef sandwich in the fridge and getting out there and not be afraid to try something new. Now, I'm not necessarily familiar with Bull Grill. Do they, you know, what, I guess, what sets them apart from, you know, a Weber or, you know, some of the other higher end type units? Absolutely. It, it gets to be really easy on this side of things. With the gas grills, what you're looking at is consistent heat and the burner longevity as well. It's a 20 year old American company out of California, but also has a manufacturing facility in Tennessee. And they have cast stainless steel, cast iron burners. Things are going to go forever. You know, you were actually talking about maintaining grill grates mm-hmm. earlier, and they will go from generation to generation. Well, cast stainless steel burners, really? It's easy to get consistent heat radiating off of those. And then, um, you know, they've got solid stainless steel grill grates. They've got um, dual-lined hoods with 304 stainless steel. They build it once well and design it once well so that they don't have to change their design two, three, four years down the road. And when you have a warranty issue or if you ever come across that, then they uh, are able to say, we do have the part instead of we change the design on you. Now, if a good company like that, they believe in old-fashioned values. Are they somebody that's selling out of a, a dealer network, like a specialty grill and barbecue store, or where, where would they be available for purchase? Oh, sure. Well, BBQ.com has a location, um, so you can find your local retailer. A lot of, of retailers, such as uh, Home Depot Online, you've got uh, Family Leisures, Watson Stores, uh, a lot of specialty grill stores. Some landscape and construction folks do it as well. I mean, we've got quite a, a widespread coverage of the marketplace, and, and when you see them, you'll definitely recognize them. All right, so in your estimation, because you're somebody that is kind of educating the public when it comes to the, the higher end or the higher heat cooking aspect when, we, when we're comparing it to barbecue, what are some of the, the common mistakes, the biggest mistakes that you see people make over and over again? Or is there relaying a past cook to you going, I don't know where I went wrong, here's what I did? What are the common things that you see repeating themselves over and over again that we might be able to get out there so they can stay away from those in the future? I think it's the fundamentals. I think it's, it's very simply have clean grill grates, oil them, consistent heat source, and, and then... It doesn't matter whether you're using a $14,000 Jambo or a $14 garbage can. If you've got it, the right type of approach with your cooking device, then you're going to be just fine. And I think, too, a lot of people shoot through their target windows. You know, on the, if they're trying to sear, like, let's say, at 1,000 degrees, they're trying to sear, they're going to shoot through that target window faster and just tone it down a little bit, bring it back to 25, 350, and create that consistent heat so that you're able to hit a, a larger target window and wind up with that tender, juicy, velvety beef that you're after. All right, we are talking with Michael McDearman. Uh, you see him on the Grillmaster Tour at the Sam's Club uh, events that you see him uh, traveling around at. Uh, we got a regional event in Rockford, Illinois that Michael will be at. So if you have the opportunity to stop out there, you're going to be in that area. Maybe if you're just passing through, I mean, they're at Sam's Clubs. It's not like you're going 50 miles out of your way. That was like the first thing that I thought of, uh, Michael, when I was going down to the Canton thing was, man, damn, where is this thing going to be at? It could be in a cornfield. I'm like, wait, this is a Sam's Club event. It's going to be right at a Sam's Club. 
So you hop right on. Directions are very easy to get to. They always have a lot of parking. Uh, you got a lot of blacktop, and they seem to be run very well. Uh, how do you and, and Troy get along? Are you pretty much glove in hand, um, and you work well off of each other. How do you find Troy to be? Oh, good, healthy banter back and forth, and <laughs> and you know what? It's it's always good among bar- barbecue people. Are good people. I've not found uh, you know folks to to. It's just a good cross section of Americana, really. And I, I sit there and tell people, you know, we need to have baseball, apple pie, and Chevrolet, but we need to add a fourth. We need to add barbecue in there. It's just good old American folks. So as far as getting along, it's fantastic. We play well off of each other being hot and fast and low and slow. And and uh, But, you know, I'm going to be sampling. Now, actually, this weekend, 1030, we're going to start our sampling to the public. I'll be giving away 1,200 Cokes and, and all kinds of stuff. So come on down and get you a Coke and have a smile, and then also, too, get you fed because we're going to have uh, quite a few folks at the regional, not just myself serving that great beef, but you also have uh, Tyson Wings, some, some pulled cork, some uh, Casey Masterpiece will be there doing some pulled pork sliders, all kinds of food to come and sample. Oh, absolutely fabulous. So, yeah, like uh, Michael saying, if you have the opportunity to get down or if you haven't been to a Sam's Club event yet, Definitely something you want to get down to because you can eat like a champion down there and you get the free Coke and all that other stuff too. Uh, Michael, really appreciate you coming on, making time for the show tonight, and uh, good luck this coming weekend in Rockford. Hope everything turns out well for you. Thank you very much, and tell those beef cooks I said hi. You got it. There he is, Michael McDearman, grillmastertour.com, if you need it. I had a blast down there. I got to be honest. Why, why would I not say i got to be honest? So Michael is actually going against what a lot of people tell you to do, a lot of these talking heads, when it comes to the steak. So if you uh, the cook or the process of cooking. So if you didn't get it, step one, preheat the grill to 325, 350, which is typically at least 100 degrees less than what I typically do. Uh, five to minute, five to seven minutes. The first side to get those grill marks in. Then you flip it, and then you're going for internal temperature only. And he goes to 142. You know, if you're a pulse eater, you maybe you want to drop it down five ten degrees. If you like it a little bit more well done on the inside, uh, you want to bump it up five seven eight ten degrees. But let it rest five to seven minutes. Those four steps: preheat three twenty five to three fifty. Five to seven minutes on the first side, flip it, and then cook the 142 just as like a, a target. And again, if you like it done a little more, a little less, make your uh, timing adjustments as necessary on that second side. Get a good thermometer. Biggest problem, people are cheap and they have bad thermometers. Bone out. Buy the best and only cry once. All right, gang, let me tell you about it because I've told you about it the last three weeks. This Butcher Barbecue. Thinking of ways for you to trust him even more than you already do, and you're like, right, I couldn't possibly trust Dave and the people over at Butcher's Barbecue more than I already do. Poppycock. Here's a way you can trust them even more. How about this? For the first time ever in the history of the world, no other company, aside from Butcher's, trying to not only make their own customers happy, but their competitors' customers happy as well. What do I mean by that? Maybe you've bought another injection that hasn't worked out for your your scores have tanked. Now it's just sitting around collecting dust, probably never to be used again. What to do? Well, before you just cry. Now, no more crying. You trade it in, pound for pound. All you have to do, you go to ButcherBBQ.com, and you click the trade-in link once you're there. Fill out the form, print it off, 
Seal up your trade. Mail it today. He'll send you back Butcher Barbecue Beef, Pork, or Prime Injection. Wow. Look, we've all done it. You spend some money. Only to find out the product is bad. Now the wife is pissed at you because you could have taken her out of the town instead of wasting it on this injection. How many times have you been in that situation? You're spending the money on a product, and when you realize that it sucks, you're in a vacillating situation. That means you're stuck between A and B. What are you going to do? Probably won't use it again because it's you know too expensive to throw out. And in the past, you were stuck, but now you trade it in pound for pound for Butcher's Barbecue. Look, they'll match it pound for pound. You have nothing to lose, only great products to gain that have been time-tested by award-winning cooks across various sanctioning bots. They'll honor commercially made products along with the partial or complete label. It's a limit of five per item per household. And all products will be weighed at the time of arrival. And that amount is final. If you have any questions, contact Dave via directly the ButcherBBQ.com website. It's a trade-in program happening right now at ButcherBBQ.com. Just one more way for you to trust your butcher. Again, ButcherBBQ.com for the trade-in program. You get jammed up. You get sucky injections. Send them to Dave. He'll take care of you. He's taking care of me. He's taking care of you. Bada bing. All right, we'll uh, wrap the first hour up here, and then we'll head on over to the round table. Brisket style. Stick around. We'll be looking back. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue, it's the Barbecue Central Show. Who would have thought this music thing was going to go this far? I never asked for this. I never asked for this fast living, the women, the whiskey, craziness. There's whiskey in my soul. All right. Thanks again to Mike McDermott joining me for the last two segments. Talking about the, the, the high-end heat portion of beef steak. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think. Do I want to jump early so I can set all this stuff up properly or what? I know I do. Uh, once again, in case you didn't get it, uh, for the cooking the beef properly, Michael McDearman's recipe, preheat the grill 325 to 350 degrees first. Go right from the fridge to the grill with the meat. Don't let it come up to temperature. Five to seven minutes on the first side. Then flip it. Cook it to an internal temperature of 142 degrees. More if you like it a little bit more done, less if you like it a little bit more of a pulse. And then you let it rest for five to seven minutes coming off the grill. Ah, uh, yeah. And these cups are like the best thing ever. You see this cup? You know, it's like, like a double walled. I know it's a little femmy. <laughs> but uh, whatever. Really good for the drinks when I make cocktails. All right, let me get out of here. Don't forget round, brisket roundtable coming up. Let me see. How do I get these people? I got um, Mike Wozniak, Music Man Ryan. That's got to be Ryan Newstrom. And Scott Key. Eh, why not? It's got to work. It's just technology, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> Grillmastertour.com, Michael McDearman's 
site. Plus, it links to all the other things. Literally, he's got 50 billion irons in the fire. 50 billion logs in the cooker, if you will. All right. uh, I'm going to jump early and make sure we have enough time to do the brisket roundtable. Uh, maybe your calls at the end of the second hour if uh, we need to fill a little bit. But better to, to have time at the end instead of uh, racing through because we do have breaks as well. Uh, you're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show right here on the Barbecue Central Radio Network. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Fine, how's it going? <laughs> you have a great show of a big fan. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish! What? He ate fifty four wieners. But listen, Lavernius, shake his face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seeds. <laughs> You could use it to fight off creeping marauders looking to take your steaks off your grills. I just like being anywhere with Junior, Senior, and Diva. Sounds like a whole other type of movie. <laughs> wow. Yeah, really. Keep it hot, keep it clean, keep it lubricated. We have top men working on it right now. Ooh. Top men. And just like that, we are into the second hour, ladies and gentlemen. Well... A little early, but that's all right. Want to make sure we have enough time because this is a very uh, special show. Got to print off my questions. Love it when I'm uh, always ready for the big shows. Here we go. Okay. Let's see here. Beginning, uh, right off the top. We move to a fan-favorite style show called the Barbecue Roundtable. It's a competition. This is competition format, not backyard format like we have sometimes. And helping me break down the brisket category tonight are the three top brisket cooks in the KCBS right now. Ryan Newstrom of Big T's Q Crew, Scott Key of Little Pig Town. Uh, he took a reserve in Lola, Kansas this past weekend. Mike Wozniak of QOW, who took a grand champion this past weekend, in uh, Morton, Illinois. Guys, I uh, appreciate you joining me tonight to do a little uh, brisket talk here. Uh, before we get into the, the prep and the cooking and all that crap, uh, why don't we go around the table here real quick and see what everybody's cooking on, and uh, we'll go ahead and start with Scott. Uh, I'm cooking on a jambo pit. Jambo pit. Uh, custom made, of course, right? Correct. Uh, Ryan. Uh, up until this season, I hadn't turned a brisket in from anything else other than... Uh, Trusty Weber Smoky Mountain Bullet, uh, but uh, we got a jambo this season, so that's what we're cooking on. Have you, uh, Mike? What are you uh, cooking on? Uh, Peoria Custom Cooker. All right, Peoria. So uh, all wood burners, and you know, with the I don't know if it has been recent popularity of pellet cookers, but it it seems while they're still out there that this. Return to offset cooking has kind of made maybe a little bit more of a resurgence, or at least I'm seeing more uh, stick burner style, whether it be the Jambo. Uh, Mike, I don't know how many Peoria custom cookers you see out there uh, on the circuit as well, but I know you've used them for quite a while. Uh, Mike, do you like the flavor that the offsets are putting on? Have you tinkered around with other styles of cookers and just not found them to be as good as the as the offset or the Peoria in your case? All I ever use is an offset. 
I started out with like the Horizon or Oklahoma Joe style, and then uh, I started cooking on the uh, Peoria cookers. I don't use wood anymore. I just use charcoal. I don't even add uh, you know wood chips or anything like that. I get enough flavor from the uh, charcoal. All right. Uh, what about you, Ryan? You had been using Weber Smoky Mountains uh, all the way up until this year. Do, do you find a distinct flavor profile difference that you're getting with a Jambo? Um, not, well, not really. I mean, we had such success with the bullet, with the briskets in years past. That was the thing that I was most reluctant, uh, to switching over to the Jambo, but I kind of jumped in head first with it this season. And, uh, we really haven't looked back, you know, the, the all wood kind of, it definitely gives a different flavor. Um, uh, and this, the smoke is somewhat more apparent, I'd say, um, but uh, not not a, not a complete overhaul of what we were doing before. Scott, have you uh, been a jambo cooker uh, straight along, or have you moved over from time to time? No, nah, the first year I cooked competitions, I used a stumps cooker, which is a cabinet style. It's not gravity fed, or it's not pellet cooker, but it's gravity fed charcoal bin. Yep. And uh, after a year, of that I switched over to my jambo. Anything it's particular? They're just a combination of the the smoke and the rubs and the pit and everything in one, it just make a, you know, a great bark and it just seems to work well for me. So, all right. So there's always been a, well, not always, but there's been a lot of talk, you know, over the last maybe three, four years, especially when that first season of barbecue pit masters showed up on television about Wagyu beef, uh, people started trending over to that, or at least you heard a lot of uh, talk, especially in the internet boards about people wanting to get into the snake river farms or the strew branch or whatever the case may be. Uh, Scott, are, are you a believer and a user of Wagyu beef? No, I've used them both. I mean, I've used Wagyu, I've used Prime, I've used you know, twist cuts from Sam's. Uh, if you play with Wagyu, it's really difficult to, you know, you're not going to be able to inject it. It seems like there's such flavor there that you don't need to put a whole lot of injection into it. But any other kind of meat, you've, you know, it doesn't hurt to inject it. Uh, what about you, Ryan? You use uh, Wagyu beef? Yeah, we've uh, used Wagyu since before it was sexy when Barbecue Pitmasters came on the scene. And when we first got started in 2009, I was kind of, as a as a green cook, if you will, I was kind of looking for something to help me out a little bit. And I, I found a guy in western Iowa that was producing Wagyu uh, briskets. And uh, I kind of started out saying say, say to myself that we'd see how it goes if it didn't pay off well that that uh, we'd, we'd go back to cab or whatever. Um, and right off the bat, we got second in brisket out of 70 teams in our second contest ever. And pretty much since then, I haven't looked back. And that's all we've ever turned in. Like, I believe I probably asked you this question before in, in other conversations and, and that you don't. But uh, do you use Wagyu or have you something you have tried before? Oh, uh, we finally switched over last September. Okay. I had... Uh, used uh, Walmart and Sam's briskets for years with a great deal of success. Um, we started out in 2011 with a lot of success, and then halfway through the year, nothing. So in September, I got a hold of some Wagyu's, and um, I got some good ones, and I got some bad ones, and uh, we've never looked back. And uh, what I look for, I mean, I want the big ones. We had success with Snake River. I had some that I got from uh, Australia. They had a red stripe on them, and uh, – they're a little bit cheaper, but I wouldn't recommend them. We didn't have much luck with them. Ryan, who are you? Do you do you have a preferred purveyor of Wagyu? <laughs> yeah, I, I do actually. Like I like I mentioned, there's a guy out in Western Iowa 
um, um, by the, the, the producer is called Maginola Meats. Um, and you can look at their website, MaginolaMeats.com, M-A-J-I-N-O-L-A.com. Um, I'm reluctant to say that only because I was talking to him yesterday and he says he's getting calls all the time from uh, competition cooks wanting to use his stuff and his uh, small family farm. He's only going through t- 10 head or so a month and until he figures out a way to uh, produce a cow that produces eight different briskets, he's in short supply. And so we kind of are one of two or three teams that kind of have exclusive uh, uh, access to his briskets. All right, so you guys are top three right now in regards to brisket for KCBS. You know, we're right at the end of July, literally the last day of July. Scott, when you're at competitions and people have seen your success, do you have other teams actually coming up and asking you, what are you doing, what is your process, who are you buying from in order to to, to not shig off you, but I I guess uh, potentially clone what you're doing? Well, we're we're sort of guarded about what we say. We don't give up too much, but... No, I, I, when we buy Wagyu, we buy it from Snake River Farms. You know, I'll, I'll tell everybody anytime we inject, we always use Cosmos Reserve. Whoa, 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 let's not get ahead brisket. of ourselves. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We got that whole pre-cook thing that we're going to talk about with all that crap. Um, but I mean, I mean, just like in general, do you find that uh, contestants are coming up to you and, and asking you a lot of stuff, or maybe even trying to do some trickery on you? Nah, not too much. Most of those guys know. We all know each other, and I don't get a whole lot of that. Ryan, you get, the local, you, you'll catch a local guy that'll come up sometimes, a, a new team, and we'll ask for some advice, and I'll help him out a little bit. But you can't drop too many nuggets for new guys. Ryan, do you get a uh, you get a lot of foot traffic around the Big T's Q Crew site asking you what's this, what's that? Yeah, we, we'll get we'll get you know people on occasion, you know, that tend to ask a few more questions than most people, but uh, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'll. Uh, I'll never lie to anybody. I'll, I'll tell them what we do. I won't give them all the details necessarily, but, uh, um, you know, I'm, I, I like to help, I like to help people out and try to get them on the right track. And then of course, uh, Mike, let me ask you, and I mean, you've won team of the year. You've been doing this uh, for a long time now. You have a lot of success, uh, with years past. Do you find that you get a lot of foot traffic when, when you're in town and people want to see what's up with the QL camp and what you guys are doing in the process? Uh, I think what you're asking if people want to shag, uh, yeah, the answer is uh, yes. We we had a new trailer built uh, over in uh, Iowa, in Humboldt, Iowa, by Jensen, and it's pretty shig-proof. Uh, the cooker's kind of enclosed. Uh, the trailer's kind of enclosed. And so nobody can really see what's going on. I do share information with a couple teams, you know, that, you know, I've known for years. And one of them is, uh, you know, Parrothead Smokers of South Dakota. And that's kind of backfire. I mean, I helped him a little bit, and now he's uh, really been kicking my ass when we go up against him in brisket. Yeah, he's uh, he's also been having a pretty good year. Had a, another decent finish this past weekend. All right, here, guys. Uh, so what we're going to do is I'm going to turn you down here real quick, and then this I'm going to go ahead and uh, get in a quick read for uh, the show sponsors and uh, pay some bills here. And we'll come back. We'll talk about the prep. So get ready for the prep, guys. Pull out your notes and whatnot. And I will talk uh, quickly to the crowd about the Barbecue Institute. And you want to take that barbecue to the next level with a Barbecue Institute class. You know him. It's a teddy bear Conrad Haskins and uses his years of catering and restaurant experience combined with food science and smoking secrets to help you understand how to improve your barbecue. Backyard barbecuers and those folks who want to open a business drive and fly in from all over the world for the Institute's small, friendly, informative classes. 
Upcoming Barbecue 101 classes include Riverhead, New York, Dallas, and Houston, Texas. And then they're going to have a commercial barbecue class for those wanting to open their own businesses. And that's going to be at the Gator Pit Factory in Houston, Texas, using their approved commercial kitchen. Now, following the sold-out second annual barbecue at the McKinley Springs Winery, plans are already in the mix for 2013. The Barbecue Institute is planning on adding a two-day Dutch oven class and a one-day butchering class on each side of that weekend. Now, you can learn the differences between all these cooking fuels, the charcoal, the gas, the sticks, the wood pellets. They can all produce amazing results, yet all require a different route to get there. Learn the practical secrets and the food science on the methods to get the best results from each heat source. Now, we're not teaching classes on the weekends. Conrad is conducting private classes and corporate events from coast to coast during the week. He also founded OPBBQ.com in 2004. It still feeds troops that are wounded in war. Make your next off-site party really memorable. Have a Barbecue Institute off-site party. Show your employees you care with the very best barbecue that money can buy. They're going to be talking about it for years to come. They're also going to be stealing all of the leftovers, so make sure that you lock it up. Not only are your employees essential to your operation, they're thieves when it comes to barbecue. Look for details on all the Barbecue Institute classes. You visit their website, bbqinstitute.com. Again, that's bbqinstitute.com. Or you can check out their Facebook page for the latest news and pictures. Barbecueinstitute.com. And again, for the price. Really one of the uh, top values out there, especially if you're not looking uh, specifically for a competition-style cooking class. All right, uh, we're going to come back in just a few seconds with the prep of brisket. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show right here on the Barbecue Central Radio Network. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Remy. All right, welcome back. Uh, just past 10 minutes after 10 o'clock on your Tuesday, 877-448-0433. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. All right, let's go ahead and get into the uh, preparatory events for Brisket Cook. We'll start with Scott Key here. Now, uh, gentlemen, just uh, one quick uh, mention again. Uh, best to just kind of answer the question at hand, easy to kind of fold into some of the other processes that are just kind of like hand and glove, but if you just kind of answer the, the question at hand, and then we'll kind of move on. Uh, Scott, we'll start with you. might seem like a strange question, but, of course, I've always found out through the history of the show now five, six years it's the question that I don't ask until years later that I found out somebody else had a different answer for. So is it whole packers or is it flats for little uh, Pigtown? It's flats for me. Okay, see, I'm glad I asked that. Packers, I'm sorry. Sure. Good God, I didn't say flats. Packers, hellfire. All right. You so. can't even get a flat in Snake River, can you? <laughs> I would not know because I do not use Wagyu. I only use whatever the crap at the uh, BJ store is. That's right. Uh, Ryan, uh, whole packers or flats? Whole packers. Yep. And uh, Mike, whole packers or flats? Uh, pa- packers. Uh, Mike, let me ask you: Have you ever used just flats at some point, or has it always been whole packers right along? I would only use the flat in emergency. Uh, I like to turn burn ends in, and uh, of course, you don't get burn ends when you, you cook a flat. You have to have a packer to get burn ends. What about you, Ryan? Have, have you ever used flats at some point? I mean, you were working with the Weber Smoky Mountain, so, I mean, there is a, a limited space there. No, uh, 
Mike, Mike mentioned in an emergency, you would use a flat, and that was the only instance of which I've ever, ever actually even home use cooked a flat uh, by itself. And that was a couple weeks ago back in Madison when I found myself in a position having to start cooking at 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and I grabbed the first flat I could sprinting into Sam's Club and back to my cook site um, and uh, threw it in the hot spot of the cooker. And, and uh, well, that was the first time we hadn't bur- haven't turned in burn ends. Well, regardless, that, uh, that three-hour brisket seemed to turn out pretty well for you in that competition. <laughs> I have no idea how. I couldn't tell you. Is it part cook, part cooker? That's what I've heard rumor-wise. Well, it's it's a damn good cooker, no doubt. Um, it uh, I I opened her up and got her as hot as I could get her, um, and uh, it cooked nice and even for me through that entire uh, incredible procedure that we had. <laughs> Scott, no Scott, you ever used uh, flats in the past, or has it always been whole packers for you as well? No, I've never used them in competition. All right, uh, we'll move on to the next question, and uh, we'll start with Mike. Uh, are you using a specific, uh, well, uh, specific purveyors for brisket? So we'll go ahead and run down the line there real quick one more time. So everybody, there's a lot of people jumping in here on the uh, the chat room uh, that didn't hear it before. But uh, the the brand of a brisket that you like best, we'll start with Mike. Yes, yeah, uh, Snake River. Uh, if you can get the big ones, uh, I like about twenty pounds. Up. Wow. Um, and like again, I mentioned uh, we did get some early on that were from Australia and. Uh, they didn't turn out. They were wagyu, but they didn't turn out as well. They didn't have the texture or the flavor. But Snake River is fairly constant uh, in their uh, quality. But again, I like the big ones, twenty pounds and up. You get bigger uh, slices from your flat. Scott, you're a Snake River Farms too guy, right? Yep. Are, are I don't you are necessarily you, get the big ones like him? I was going to say, get, what what kind of a what kind of ability do you have when you're placing an order with Snake River Farms to say, I want a 20-pound or I want a 13 or 14-pound or somewhere in between? Well, they offer you uh, – there's several different options on there, but I think there's like 11 to 13 or 14-pound range, and there's like a 14 to 17-pound range and a 17 to 20-pound range, which are those big mammoth ones that King Wazzy's talking about over there. <laughs> I get the middle ones. I don't get the great big ones. All right, and uh, Ryan, what was the name of the purveyor that you're using, too, that uh, is... Maginola Meats. Uh, they're out of uh, western Iowa. Western um, Iowa. Mark and Jill Smits. They're great people. All right. Uh, and uh, we've also, well, every once in a while, cook a prime as backup, and we use Creekstone uh, primes for that. All right. Ryan, let me stay with you on this one. How many briskets are you cooking at an event? Is it one? Is it eight? Where are you? Where are you at? Dose two. Two. Always cook two. I'm. I don't have enough guts to just cook one. Was there a point when you actually cooked more than that, or not? Mm-hmm. Never more than two. No, never more than two. Most most of the time, nine times out of ten, they they both turn out pretty darn similar. Um, but every once in a while, we we need to go to a second one. So that's that's all we need. Scott, how many uh, briskets you throw in the cooker for a comp? I I just cook one. And you're good with that? Yeah, I've been doing that for a couple of years, and it seems to work out okay. No, it ain't that. That's just I'm <laughs> dumb enough to do it. <laughs> is, it um, is it an instance, or maybe you haven't necessarily thought about it like this, but because you are doing one, since you don't have the luxury of a backup, that you really have to stay focused on that one, and otherwise you're pretty much screwed, right? Yeah, you do pay a lot of attention if it's just one brisket to play. And you get used to things on your cooker, you know. You 
put one brisket in one spot, and if I were to add two, then I'd have to shift something. And as silly as that sounds, that really affects the whole cooking process when you start moving stuff around on your pit. So it's just been once what I've always done, and I kind of stick to it. Uh, Mike, how many briskets you throwing on the cooker there for an event? Uh, this year, I've just been cooking one. Um, we were fortunate at the beginning of the year. We shared a pallet of uh, briskets with some other teams from Kansas City, and we're, we're talking about 2,000 pounds of brisket that costs about $11,000. <laughs> and uh, I got a flash freezer, and uh, so I got these all put away, and uh, I've been cooking just one of the big ones at a time. Now I'm going to get down to where there's some smaller ones, and I'll have to cook two at a time. But uh, as long as I can cook just one big one, um, I'm sure that they'll turn out. Uh, a few times I got fooled, but... Uh, most of the time, it turned out it's easier to babysit one, uh, sort of like what Scott said. Um, it's just uh, it's just easier. I cook four butts, though, but one brisket. When you're paying $100 for a brisket, one's enough. Absolutely. Uh, Scott Key, Ryan Newstrom, Mike Wozniak joining me here on the show, Little Pig Town, Big T's Q Crew, and Q Out, top three brisket cooks in KCBS right now when we're talking about the competition brisket here tonight. Um I mean, since you're already ordering from, you know, a lot of these specialty purveyors, uh, this might have to lend you to harken back to the old days when you were maybe going through the big box stores. Uh, But for the people that are watching here tonight, you know, when you were doing that, what are you looking for in a brisket? What makes you choose one over the other, especially, you know, back in those days when you were looking at, you know, a a choice cut or or maybe a cab? And we'll start with Scott. Oh, the flat. I always grab the the flat and see how thin it is on that thin side and then i like to grab it you kind of like it to be flimsy as well you know you kind of grab it from the from the point and shake it and see how flimsy that brisket is and then uh if you can get a combination of a good thick flat you know and a good flimsy i like to call flimsy kind of a floppity brisket and that's what i'd go with what about you ryan yeah pretty much the same i uh, uh thicker the flat the better um, I, th- I think sometimes you can get too f- too thick, um, but uh, I, li- I like it at least an inch, inch and a half, um, uh, and then and then a decent sized point. Um, sometimes they they cut off too much of the point, and you don't have enough burn ends um, to pull from. Um, and then I, I like to flimsy. I definitely do the flat test uh, with with the brisket, um, and I like to get my hands in there and, and feel the feel the meat and. Uh, it's a it's a big it's a big interactive process with me, um, and then I, I also look at marbling. Um, uh, I know some guys don't really look at that, but to me, it's just another indicator that I like to see there. What about you, Mike? Well, uh, when I was cooking non wagyus, I looked for twelve to fourteen pounders that had uh, thick uh, flats, and I didn't trim them very much. But now that I've switched to Wagyu, I found that i got to trim more of the fat off. That's why I like to start with like a 20-pounder. A There's an awful lot of fat you can trim off, sometimes three or four pounds. And, uh, again, I look for the, uh, the flat. They're shaped a little bit different, too. Usually the flat is wider, uh, and you've got more of a skinny part that you can trim off. And uh, we trim off typically a half to three-quarters of a pound, and uh, we take it home and grind it into hamburger. All right, so, Mike, you kind of led me nicely into the second question, which was the the trimming process. So it sounds like you're doing quite a bit of trimming uh, with your Wagyu briskets. Uh, Are you you cooking them as a whole? Do you at all, or have you ever separated point and flat prior to going onto the cooker? Uh, No, I always cook at whole. I don't do my separation until it comes into the trailer. 
uh, Ryan, as far as trimming process for you, what uh, what do you got? And then do you cook? Um, you cook it whole all the way through, or do you ever separate point flat? Don't fully separate. I, I, I cut into that the, the the kernel of fat to expose some of the point uh, around it, so then I can get some burn ends. But I don't I don't separate them um, until I'm ready to start cutting them up. And uh, Scott, what kind of a, a trimming process are you going through with your briskets? Uh, I don't separate them either. Not at the contest. Are, are you trimming a lot of fat off, or do you pretty much let it ride as it's coming out of the the cryovac? Yeah, I. I cut it open. I actually trim my meat a lot of times on Wednesday nights. So I trim the sides down to about the size I want them. You know, I'll cut some of the fat off, the skin off the top, if that little membrane shit over the top or whatever that stuff is. Kind of get some of that off there and get it shaped similar to what I'm looking for. And then I uh, vacuum seal it up and take it with me. Now, you know, you kind of mentioned how you're trimming them up, uh, you know, Wednesday before a comp. When you have it in front of you, are you visually looking at it and going, I would like to take X amount off of this side and that side in order to, to make sure that I could get a you know, slice that's going to be nicely fitting for the box? Are you thinking that far ahead already as far as turnings are concerned, Scott? Yeah, for sure. I look at it and kind of measure it up with my knife, you know, kind of what I think the box size is going to be, and I always use the same knife. So I kind of know what, what that width is I'm looking for and kind of picture where I'm going to take my slices from and, and you know, trim it sort of to fit i mean it's not exact every time but i get it within that range that i think i'm going to use the contest when i slice it mike when you're trimming up are you also uh, trimming in proportion to to a box turn in for a slice uh if we can uh, there's been times when we've had a gash or something like that or a big fat you know streak down center and then it, it makes your slices narrower but uh, it's like last week up in Morton, uh, we had a gash, but luckily I was, I was past that where I got my slices from. But I always try to picture where the slices are going to come from. Uh, I'm trying to look for, uh, you know, something in the center. That's usually where the most tender slices come from. And, um, yeah, that's what we, we want slices that are full width of the box, and then we put the burn ends either in the front or the back. But uh, those big, wide slices, tall slices, look really good in a box. And I think it impresses the judges a lot more than a skinny, narrow slice. What about you, Ryan? Are you, uh, you looking to, to kind of trim up that brisket prior to, to going on the cooker to, to fit that box for slices? I, uh, I'll, uh, I'll try to square it up a little bit. Um, I've, I haven't successfully pre, pre-trimmed a brisket to fit in the box the way I want it. So I always have to cut it down once it's cooked anyway. So... Uh, I don't worry about it too much. All right, uh, Mike, we'll start with you on this question, and, of course, uh, this is going to be a very uh, popular question for me to ask. Uh, I'm assuming, but I'll ask anyway, are are you injecting your brisket? Uh, If you're injecting it, uh, are you using a specific brand, like a pre-made that's already out there, or is it something that you're concocting on your own? Uh, We've always used our own injection, I mean, since, like, 2005. Uh, I've tried some of the commercial stuff. I haven't tried any lately. But um, at the time, they had phosphates in them. I'm sure they still do. And I was, did not like the texture after the meat was cooked. I thought it gave it a, a bad feel, uh, kind of a slimy feel to it, especially when it was in my mouth. Uh, we just used basically kind of a, a beefy broth with uh, beef baits, uh, which you can find, like, uh, refrigerated at some grocery stores. It's, uh, it's like a beef paste, real uh, thick. Yep. And, uh, you know, we inject that. All right, uh, Scott, we'll go over to you. Are you injecting brisket? And is something that, if you are, is it something that you're making yourself or are you using uh, what's available on the market right now? 
No, I use a Cosmos brisket injection, his reserve blend. Now, he's got the reserve blend. He also has, like, the, the regular Cosmos Q. Have you tried both? Uh, I have. and It's just for the rubs and everything I use on mine, I actually like the uh, his new reserve blend better. It well, seems to just cook them and give it a little better flavor for me. I want to back up here for a second, Mike, and, and ask you this uh, because I uh, forgot to. Was there a point when you didn't ever inject brisket? Uh, uh, yeah, we um, at the Royal last year um, <laughs> when we were prepping for the inv- for the open. My wife goes, uh, "Did you inject the ones for the um, Invitational?" And I said, "Yes." And she pulled out the uh, injection, and there was none missing. And uh, those briskets turned out pretty dry. I guess it's my technique uh, that we cook really hot and fast. I think I have to have injection in there because the next day we got, I think, eighth in brisket in the open, you know, out of 475 teams. But in the invitation, our briskets, both uh, I did cook two because that's a special contest. And uh, they, they were just dry. And uh, that's the only thing I can difference was that they weren't injected. Scott, have you always injected or was there a point when you were not doing that? Uh, I, I didn't inject for the longest time. And then I... Uh... I started messing around with it and uh, got it worked out to where I like it. So probably in the last year and a half, I've started injecting more and more. All right, Ryan, uh, are you injecting? Is it something that you've always done? And if you are, uh, are you using somebody's stuff that's already out there in the market? Or are you making your own? Yes, uh, I, I inject and I, I like both Cosmos and Butch's product. Um, and uh, and we've up, I think our very first contest, we didn't inject. Um, we, we still got a call with brisket, but I always just thought that injecting it with one of those products um, would help uh, me to a different level. So, All right, let me stay with you on this one, uh, Ryan. And uh, this might seem stupid, but again, I've asked this question before in different roundtables, and somebody always surprised me with an answer. Uh, do you ever set your brisket out in order to achieve, like, you know, it to kind of come up to a room temperature, so to speak? Uh, or is it always right out of the chest after you've injected it and then right onto the cooker? Yeah, I actually, I try to keep it as cold as possible. Um, uh, my brisket, um, my pork butts I'll set out a little bit ahead of time. Um, but my briskets, yeah, I, I keep them, I take them straight out of the cooler and I inject them and put them back in the cooler. Um, and then they come straight out of the cooler to go on the cooker. Uh, Scott, same style of process for you or, or will you go ahead and, and leave it out for a little bit before it hits the cooker? Um, I'll inject it and rub it and let it set out for an hour and a half probably ish. And then I'll put it in the fridge and then I'll come straight out of the fridge onto the cooker. Uh, Mike, what about you? Uh, well, first thing we do when we get to a contest Friday morning is inject the brisket. Uh, we wrap it up and put it back in the fridge and then, uh, about 1130 Friday night, we take it out and, uh, let it set out till three thirty in the morning. So yeah, we, we do bring it up to room temperature. Um, and cook it quick. Are you are you finding that to help in the cooker? What's the benefit of, of you to, to do that versus taking it right out of the cooler and throwing it onto the cooker? Is it because you're cooking hot and fast you need it to be a little bit more warm and ready to go to, to help you get through that cook uh, that quick cook? Well, I don't, I, I'm cooking at like 325 degrees. I don't want to burn the outside up without getting, you know, with the inside being raw. Uh, it's a lot like uh, cooking a steak, you know, when you're searing it. You want to you want to let the heat come through it, and uh, if you got that uh, inside at like thirty two or thirty four degrees, it's going to take a hell of a long time for the heat to come through there. So uh, that's just the way we've always done it. 
Uh, I'm not as bad as like Myron Mixon. He'll leave his stuff out, you know, for, from late and Friday evening, even when it's 90 degrees out. But uh, yeah, we, we're pretty consistent about that. And uh, I know we get a good product, so you know, I'm not going to change. All right, so you're uh, injecting it Friday when you get there. How far in advance are you rubbing the brisket? Uh, I don't rub it till I put it on. All right, so that's not very long. Uh, Ryan, how about you? <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll inject it and, and rub it uh, on, on Friday, early evening. And, Scott, how far in advance are you applying your, uh, your rub? I'm in the same boat with Ryan. I Normally in the, uh, in the fall, I don't get to these till super late, so... You know, I'm not even injecting or rubbing until, you know, 8 or 9 o'clock at some of them. But, you know, here in the summer when the girls are out of school, I can get it before 4 o'clock, you know, sometimes. But 8 or 9 in the fall for sure. Are you using somebody's uh, commercially made rub or are you uh, Little Pig Town making their own stuff? Uh, we make our own rub that we put on our brisket. Have you used commercial stuff before or you've always been? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. There's tons of good ones out there. Uh, Ryan, making your own rub or are you buying somebody's? Guns hot. Let them do the guessing work for you. All right. <laughs> and uh, Mike, you uh, make your own rub uh, just like you make your injections, or you're using somebody else's? Uh, we make our own rub, and uh, actually, uh, it's John Willingham's. It's in his book, Championship Barbecue, and we've used it ever since I can remember, I think 2004 or uh, five. Um, it. I think the only substitute he uses uh, wet mustard. We put dry mustard in it. I don't like to slather. Uh, let me let me go back a minute here and explain why I don't put the rub on until uh, the last minute. Sure. You know, we used to do that with the ribs and everything, and we would find that when we uh, took them out of the uh, uh, package or the uh, uh, bag that we put them in, there's a lot of liquid in there. And I, I think you put salt and sugar on something, I think it pulls a lot of moisture. And I'd rather just keep that uh, in the uh, meat. That's why I just I got in the habit. I don't uh, put rub on anything until right before we cook it anymore. All right. Uh, let me go back to Scott for this question. Is the rub that you're using completely different than you would put on, let's say, a rib or, or pork? Yes. Yeah, it's totally different. What about you, Ryan? Yep, it's a different rub than I put on either of those. And um, uh, Mike, I'm, I'm assuming you're not using the, the John Willingham brisket rub on your uh, ribs or your butts. No, we use four different rubs. Uh, uh, I go from kosher salt on my pork, uh, the John Willingham rub on my brisket. We do use um, Head Country on our ribs. Although we switch back and forth, we've got our own uh, rub too for ribs. And then chicken, uh, we have our own. Rub. All right, uh, guys, uh, one more question here before we uh, do another quick break, and then we'll get into the cooking portion. Ryan, is there anything else in the, in the prep portion of brisket that you're doing that I haven't asked you about yet? Uh, not that I can think of. I'll add it in later if I think of something. There you go. Uh, Scott, anything else that you're doing prep-wise? I don't think so. I think you've got it. All right, and uh, Mike, anything else that you're doing prep-wise that we haven't talked about? Well, the only thing I, I don't know if I mentioned is I trim just about all the fat off of it. Makes it cook quicker. Uh, didn't mention that, but duly noted. Uh, so that's like where that, what did you say, was like four or five pounds of fat that you're trimming off of the brisket? Did you say that earlier or something like that? Uh, no, I don't think that, no, two, maybe two, two, pounds? two, three pounds at the most. It depends on the size of the brisket. A real big brisket, you'll have quite a bit of fat. On some of the smaller ones, you might only have a a half a pound or so. It just depends on the size. 
All right, uh, so there you go. You have the uh, prep portion all set and done. We're going to come back and getting into the uh, cooking portion here in just a couple minutes. Guys, go ahead and uh, hang back for me, uh, refresh your drinks, or do whatever it is. Uh, Let me quickly tell you about I know I always get the weird looks when I talk about this sponsor, Stephen DeFranco from Stephen DeFranco's Jeweler. Uh, First of all, right here, local company in Cleveland, uh, just in Willoughby, which is just east of me in uh, downtown. And look, you know, we're guys, you know, a lot of us, especially the barbecue guys, not necessarily uh, blingy, as it were. Look at this guy trying to get a big plug-in for Blind Parrot Cooking Team. Look at that. Either that or he's trying to fix his hard drive. Um, there's just not a lot of stuff that we can put on without looking feminine or people question certain things, if you know what I mean. One thing you can get into, watches, right? So if you're looking for something for yourself... Maybe you want to drop a hint to the wife or the girlfriend or you know, same-sex lover, whatever it is that you got. How about a watch, an Accutron, a Citizen? Or we have a cottage watchmaker right here in Cleveland, just on the west side. And he makes them all by hand. They're all numbered, and they're absolutely fabulous. But here's the deal. So normally I would sit here and tell you, you know, you want to go buy a watch, but look, you're going to be spending, like the watch that I have is stickered at like $1,000. There's no way in hell that I would ever walk into a jewelry store and buy a $1,000 watch and buy it. Never. It would just never happen. But look, here's the deal. You know that guy that goes, eh, it's all right. I know somebody. Well, we know somebody. It's Stephen DeFranco. It's Stephen DeFranco's jeweler. So here's what you do. You go to the website, stephendefranco.com. And then you look at all the inventory he's got. Maybe you're not maybe you're not watch guy, but you want to buy a set of earrings for your wife or necklace, or you're you're in the doghouse and you need to work your way back into at least the house, then the couch, then the bedroom at some point. Stephen DeFranco's got you covered in a whole bunch of different ways. So you go to stephendefranco.com, you look at the whole inventory. And then once you find something you like, you lob him a phone call directly, 440-943-2700. That's 440-943-2700. 2700. You say, Steve, my name is Scott or Ryan or Mike or Tim or Bob or Sue. I've screwed up. My wife is mad at me. I need to go over the top here and win her back, and I'm looking at X prop. What can you do? I'm a barbecue brother. I listen to the show. Let the savings ensue, folks. He ships to you for free. We'll have a great conversation with for you. But he is a guy that is entrenched in this industry. He's an independent owner. He's not looking to make money off the backs of other middlemen and all this other stuff. StephenDeFranco.com, 440-943-2700. When you see what you like, get it. Save money for crying out loud. I'm here to save you money. I'm here to give you great brisket tips, too. Well, not me, but my three panelists are. We're going to do that here in about 18 seconds. Stick around. We'll be right back. Smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, uh, coming up on 35 past the hour, this is the Brisket Roundtable. We have Mike Wozniak from QI. This guy's going crazy. Look at this. Uh, That looked like a little glass pig or something. Uh, We have Ryan Newstrom, Big T's Q crew. We have Scott Key, Little Pig Town. And we're going to get into the uh, cooking portion here. Mike showing off hats and glass pigs. Is it a glass pig, Mike? A ceramic. Ceramic. Of course. Uh, was that like a uh, reserve grand or a grand championship trophy that you've gotten in one of your many wins? 
Uh, I think it's just a piggy bank uh, that we <laughs> we got a lot of pig motif here at the house. Imagine that, right? Barbecue we're, guy. Yeah, we're decorating early barbecue. All right, so let's move on to the cooking section. Uh, we've prepped the brisket, and we're getting ready to put it on. Um, Ryan, we'll go ahead and start with you, with Pitmaster Big T's Q Crew. Uh, what time are you putting your uh, brisket on uh, for competition? Um, if I if I may, while you during your break, I, I yep. thought of something as far as prep goes that I that I think I left out. Okay, can I go back there sure. for a second? Yes, All right. Of course. Um, uh, as far as uh, age goes, I think uh, beef can can uh, be benefited from a little aging. Um, and we wet age our briskets. Um, uh, it, I, you have to be very careful when you do this, obviously, but uh, um, anywhere from 21 to uh, 50 days. Um, I, think, I think you can overage a brisket, so we tend to err on the side of uh, less age rather than more age, but I just wanted to throw that in there quick. Anybody else to uh, wet aging, Mike or, or Scott? Yeah, uh, we age uh you can age them a long damn time. Uh, last year, we had some. Uh, we got a walk-in cooler. It's like 32, 33 degrees in the bottom. Jeez. And there were some briskets down there at the bottom that had been in there since like September. And we made pastrami out of them. And as long as the uh, cryovac wasn't broke, they were fine. Uh, so you can age them a long damn time. But uh, if you pop it open and they stink, you got to throw them out. <laughs> what about you, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they're already wet-edged when they come. I believe is how they, they do it over there at Snake River. It's like 26 days or something, then they freeze it and send it to you. But All So right. I don't do any – I mean, I've let them sit in the fridge for – you know, if I had one come in for a – if I ordered two of them and had one of them come in, and I burned it one week, and then the next week I had another one, you know, I've let it sit in there for an extra week or two and then just used it. So I guess you could consider that wet-edging a, a week or two on oh. top of the twenty six. All right, uh, so let's go ahead and go back to Ryan, and uh, let me ask you when you're putting your brisket on for competitions. Yeah, um, when we were cooking on the bullets, I'd throw them on at 8.30 at night, uh, low and slow. And uh, now, you know, jambos, they, they like the hotter heat. They, they work better in the hotter heat. So whatever cooker you got, I, I tell people, you know, you got to go to where your cooker likes to cook um, and adjust your temperature and your times accordingly. Um and uh, so the jambo we're cooking at 275, and uh, and I, I throw the uh, the big meats on at three o'clock in the morning. All right. Well, what about you, Scott? Uh, I actually throw mine on at 3:30 in the morning. And Mike? Yeah, about 3:30, depending on the size. If it's a big one, 3:30, and then um, I flip it after two hours, and then wrap it after four. Now, are you uh, are you allotting a certain amount of time, or are you? Looking for color or, or you know the, the right shade of the moon or something like that, uh, and we'll start with Mike. Well, I I didn't get that question. You were breaking up on me here a little bit. Oh, like are, are you are you allotting a certain amount of time for that brisket to cook in? So if you hit X amount, you're going to take that son of a bitch off regardless, or, or, or not so much. Yeah, like, generally we just, I just go by time. I go like two hours on the uh, on the meat side down, two hours on the uh, point side down, and then uh, at about seven thirty I wrap it, and uh, it just is going to sit there. And if it's a smaller brisket, it's going to be done at eight thirty. If it's a bigger brisket, it might be done closer to nine thirty. And when we hit the magic number, I pull it off and put it in the cambro, and I don't look at it again until it's uh, uh, about ten thirty. Separate it out. Ryan, are you allotting for a certain amount of time, or is it done when it's done? 
General, generally, uh, you know, about three and a half to four and a half hours. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for color on there. Um, and I'll, I'll take them off and wrap them when I, when I think they, they look really good, which is, you know, it's hard to explain. Um, I, I, a deep mahogany color, um, generally speaking, what what I'm looking for, but when you know, you know, Scott, are you, uh, allotting a certain amount of time for that to cook? Yeah, I've kind of, it, mine's about four to five hours, somewhere in between there when I pull them off and wrap them. Um, it, I guess I've just gotten used to the timing. It used to be because of color I was always looking at it, but it seems to always be right in that same time frame when I wrap them. All right, uh, next question here is, and we'll stick with Scott uh, since we're right here. What kind of a wood are you using for smoke flavor, and is it different for the other cuts of meat, or is it the same you know, all the way through? No, I like my uh, I like my pit at three in the morning with about four pounds of lump charcoal, and then I burn nothing but uh, pecan wood from that point forward on all my meats. Ryan, uh, wood for smoke flavor. Yep, yep. I get her started with a bed of coal, just like Scott, and then just like Scott, I get uh, I get some pecan wood down in his country in Oklahoma, and uh, and uh, that's that's what we're cooking with, and just a touch of cherry as well. Uh, Mike, you are doing. Uh, charcoal as you said on your peoria custom cooker are you uh, using wood chunks or are you just skipping wood all together where are you at i skip wood all together uh now i put my pork and i do pork low and slow i put it on the bottom level of the cooker at 210 and it cooks all night so the the cooker's going and i at uh, 330 i have my wife get up and uh she cranks the temp up while i'm prepping the brisket and then when i get in there i throw a bunch of uh wicked good charcoal on it's got big chunks in it and uh, they're not thoroughly uh burned down the charcoal so it gives us some nice flavor were you using wood at uh, some point for flavor no. and you've just uh got out of that or just never uh, we used to burn wood um, years ago, but I'll tell you what, the, if your wood um, is not dry enough or if it's not hot enough when you put it in there, if you, if you best thing is have really dry wood and even preheat it. I know the guys in the animals can do that. They can stick it off to the side, preheat it. Um, you, there's a lot of nasty stuff in wood, and uh, you know you, you can evidence that by just looking at the lid of uh, somebody's cooker that burns, you know, wood at the wrong temperature. Now the Jambo guys, you know, they burn at 275 and they're burning pretty clean. But if you get somebody that burns like 225 as you know wood at that temperature, they get a lot of creosote and stuff. And you know, it's getting on the cooker, it's getting on the meat. So uh, I figure the charcoal, all the bad stuff's already burned out of it, and uh, I just avoid the situation. And I live on a farm; I got lots of wood if I wanted to burn it. I got white oak, red oak. Uh, we have, uh, you know, maple if you want to cook pork that way, and uh, cherry and stuff like that. But I just prefer not to use it. All right, uh, Ryan, we'll go back to you for this one. Uh, what temperature are you cooking brisket at? Yeah, like, like I said before, uh, 275 to 285. Anywhere in between there, I'm happy with the jam. Was there a point when you were experimenting with different temperature ranges? With your cookers? Um, well, on, on the bullets, we were cooking low and slow, 225. Um, it just it just likes that that temperature. You know, I could I, I could run a manual, no problem. I mean, we we got a we got a stoker after half of our first season, um, just so I could get sleep at night. Uh, but uh, those bullets, they like that 225 to 250. So that's what I was running them at. Scott, what are you uh, running temperature wise during your brisket cook? Oh, uh, three to three and a quarter, somewhere in there. During the five hours while we wrap it, did, did you ever? Wrap it, I should say. Did you ever cook at a lower temperature? 
Um, when I used to cook on my stumps, I cooked a little bit lower, about oh, 265, 275, somewhere in there is where I would cook brisket. But once I got the jambo, it just kind of, it's got a mind of its own. I'm sure Ryan will attest to that. And it kind of, it goes where it wants to go and you just got to get used <laughs> to cooking with it. Mike, you were uh, you were a three twenty five guy a little bit earlier, if I remember correctly. Yeah, three twenty five, uh, and sometimes we'll go down to three ten. I, I cook ribs at three ten. If it's a smaller brisket, I'll go three ten, just you know to slow it down a little bit. I don't want it to cook too quick. Uh, I've had some of these smaller briskets get done way too early, and I think it, it cooks the flavor right out of them. And that's why we look for the big thick ones. Did you ever cook at a, a different temperature, or do you ever experimented outside of that? You know, three twenty five, uh, three ten range. Uh, well, not for a long time. I'm, you know, I've been cooking 12 years, and I know at one time we did cook. Uh, when I had the Horizon and I didn't have um, the Gurus, uh, I think I would cook at 250. And uh, we had good product back then, and I, I, mean, I knew how to regulate those. But uh, uh, there again, I'd get the creosote buildup and stuff in the inside of the cooker. And when you start to cook at, uh, you know, 275 on up, you get you, your cooker stays a lot cleaner and you're burning all the volatiles out of the wood or charcoal and uh, you're not getting that all over your meat. All right, uh, we'll go back to Scott for this. Uh, at any point during the cook, are you uh, basting or mopping or spraying the brisket? No, I don't. I don't touch it, to be honest with you. I'll throw it on there and, until I wrap it. That's the. I never even open the pit until I wrap it. Uh, have you ever done any of that stuff before or never? No, not on a brisket. I've squirted ribs and all that stuff down, but I've never basted or hosed down a brisket. Mike, any uh, basting, mopping, or spraying during your brisket cook? You asking me? Yes, Mike, sorry. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. My theory is on the uh, – on, who are you talking to, me? Yes, yes. Mike. Yes. Uh, <laughs> on brisket, anything you're cooking that hot, you don't spray like apple juice on it because it will caramelize the sugars. So if you want to base something, you have to use something with fat in it that can take the high temp. Uh, lard is always good. It's always good to have a little pan of lard inside your cooker with a brush. You can brush it right on. Uh, Ryan, uh, basting, mopping, spraying? Nope, just like Scott, shut the lid and I open it when, when I'm ready to wrap. All right, uh, so we've pretty much come to a conclusion here, which is my next question, that uh, everybody's wrapping. Uh, is, is this an internal temperature thing? Is it a color and internal temperature thing? Is it only a color thing? And uh, we'll start with Ryan. Uh, well, it's, yeah, it's a function of both, really. Um, with the cooking process that I'm rolling now, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of color. I'm not so concerned of it uh, being in a, in a certain range at that point. Um, uh, but, but like before when I was cooking on the bullets, um, I, I needed to cook it for a specifically long period of time to get enough bark on it. Um, but if you don't wrap it, uh, soon enough, um, it's going to release a lot more moisture, um, uh, than you want it to. So, uh, you, you're trying to find that sweet spot for us. Uh, like when we're pulling our briskets off now, they're anywhere between one fifty in 165 um, when we're wrapping. Uh, Scott, are you uh, just looking for color? Are you looking for internal temperature when you're wrapping? I've never actually tempted one of mine when I wrap it. I'm, I'm right in the same time zone that Ryan's playing in, but I'm sure so I'm, I, mine's got to be right in that same temperature he's talking about, but I've never tempted. So what actually started all that, the timing on it was because of the color. So I'm assuming I'll just say it's color-based is the reason I'm wrapping it when I'm wrapping it. Uh, Mike, are you looking at color? Are you looking at 
temperature? Are you looking at a combination of both when you're wrapping? Uh, I just go straight by time because I like to get my sleep. I'm getting older. Uh, <laughs> I, used to, I tried a few times to get up at 3.30 and just stay up, but I have to go back to bed and get my uh, two hours here and two hours there. So we just at, at 7.30, I wrap it, and uh, uh, I don't look at anything. I just put it in there, and then, uh, then we check uh, the final temperature, and that's when we pull it out of the foil. Um, but, uh, no, I just go strictly by time. All right, so let me ask you this question. Before you close up that foil, are you adding any type of a liquid? Or are you uh, putting a bunch of lard in there or anything like that, Mike, before you close up the foil, or you just wrap it and let it go? Uh, we put a little salt on it, kosher. I use kosher salt on everything. I think beef needs to have a salty flavor. Um, I, I don't like to use anything with uh, too much liquid. Uh, you tend to steam the meat. Uh, you're better off... Uh, not not putting too much in the foil. You're going to get some natural juices, and what what little comes out of the foil, uh, you know, we we get a half a cup or something. That's the greatest stuff in the world for uh, uh, slathering back on the slices, uh, natural juice. You know, and I'll tell you, we've tried cooking without foil. I I've, we I, I don't like to use foil. I don't use it on ribs. I don't use it on my pork slicers. I do use it on my pork polars, but I tried to cook briskets before without foil. And uh, we we just I never could figure out how to do it. I tried it about ten different ways, and uh, it just you get a dry product. All right, uh, Ryan, uh, adding anything into the foil when you're wrapping up? Yeah, absolutely. I, I see it as another opportunity to add uh, another fl- uh, flavor dynamic uh, to the beef. We use a our own version of Rick's sinful marinade. Um, if you, you know people that don't know on the show want to. Just Google Rick Sumful Marinade. It'll come right up. It's just a, a beer base um, um, uh, marinade. Um, I will say pay attention to the kind of beer that you use. You want to use a type of beer uh, that that complements the beef. Uh, if you're you're putting on a can of Natty Ice on your brisket, it's probably <laughs> not going to turn out the best. So, Scott, are you adding anything to the foil before you wrap it up and put it back in? I actually stick a uh, stick of butter in the foil before I put the brisket back in there. Really? Yeah. I'll wow. slice it in four little slices and put it in there and set the brisket on it. Man. Sounds good. Butter's good, right? You can't go wrong with butter. I mean, you put butter on anything. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so uh, I'm assuming, uh, and if you if you do do this, raise your hand and we'll go to you, but I'm assuming it, nobody is uh, separating a point and flat uh, at this point. It goes in whole, stays in whole until the finish. All right, nobody's raising their hand, so that's good. Uh, So uh, the next question is this, Mike. What target temperature are you shooting for for finish? I I look for 205. Um, It's hard to, you know, when you're talking about a piece of meat that's not, uh, you know, consistent in its thickness anywhere. So that's, when we actually take off and wrap it, I let it sit just for about 15, 20 minutes to let the heat redistribute, and then we put it back on. But uh, dead center, sometimes I'll only be at like 190, 195, and then the uh, you know the external parts of the uh, uh, brisket and the flat will be 205. But you know once you start going over 205 in the flat, you're starting to really uh, drive the flavor. So that's when we pull it. Ryan, what uh, temperature are you pulling at? Yeah, pretty much generally, just uh, just like Mike said. Um, you, you want, you want to average, you know, where, you, where you're poking that brisket, you know, if you're poking in different parts, you know, around the edge, you're going to be hotter. So you want to kind of get an average and 
mostly go by feel, uh, but I'll use I'll use uh, one of those uh, ThermalWorks oven thermometers. I'll put those in when I when I wrap them, and I'll, I'll set the alarm um, uh, for for two o three, and and uh, I'll sometimes check it a little bit earlier, depending on like Mike said on the thickness of the flat um, or or later. Um, what what people some people need to know. As far as temps goes, as far as I understand, in my experience, which compared to the other people on the show is somewhat limited, um, but uh, the hotter you cook, the hotter the finishing temp generally uh-huh. um, for for a big meat. Um, so you really want to go by feel um, at that point until you till you find to your find where you're you know for your specific cooker for the specific temp you're cooking um, the you know, the money spot, you know, the, the, the temperature that's going to yield you the best results for your specific cooker. Scott, what are you looking for pull temp at? This is one of those, you're going to ask the question, why do you do this? But <laughs> it's just one of those things I do. So there it is. I actually temp mine in the point. I don't temp mine ever in the flat. And I've always done this. And it's right where the point and the flat come together and meet. And it's about... 198 is what I'm looking for, but it's a total feel thing, like Ryan's saying, because sometimes it's a gut check. Temperature's not right, but you got that butter feel, and you got to make up make up your mind which way you're going to go with it. But uh, I've always tempted in that same spot, right on the little ramp, and about 198 is what I'm shooting for. I'm assuming that translates to probably about what they're saying, 205, 206 in the in the flat. Yeah, uh, probably safe to say there. Um, all three of you guys are making. Uh, burned ends, uh, so that's something we don't need to probably go through and ask. Uh, that's probably going in the turning box. Um, so if we, well, so let me ask this question, uh, Mike. We'll, we'll go back to you. Are, are you looking for for the the question that I asked as far as you know? Are you allotting X amount of time to cook? Are you allotting X amount of time to hold the brisket? Because a lot of cooks are always talking about, you know, hold time, the hold time, the hold time. Do, do you need to have that brisket sit for X amount of time before you feel really good about it? Uh, I believe so. I mean, we uh, we pull our pork at 10 and uh, unwrap, you know, the one of my unwrap, the other one, my slicers, I don't unwrap. Uh, they've, they've never wrapped. As soon as we're done with that, we, we take our brisket, foil, it's been sitting in the cambro, and then I separate it. We then put it in the bottom of the Peoria cooker. And the, the very bottom of the Peoria cooker is, uh, at this time is about 170 degrees. And that's a perfect temperature to hold uh, both the pork and the brisket at. And so it just sits down there, and it rebarks up. But, you know, once you had meat and foil and you got moisture in there, you kind of lose some of your bark. So I'll have that flat sitting up in that 170-degree bottom. And uh, we'll put a little sauce on it, and it'll start to rebark up. And I think that that time that it spends from, uh, well, say, about 10, 15 to uh, we bring it in at uh, right about noon, that other hour and a half sitting there, uh, I think it does it a lot of good. It softens it up. I always like to, maybe Scott will agree with me, maybe Ryan will agree with me. When you pick that brisket up in foil, it'll, it'll have a kind of a soft uh, jelloey, maybe almost like a woman's breast feel to it. Oh, hey oh, I know that's what that feels that's like. That's what I look Nice. Uh, Ryan, are you allotting for uh, a certain amount of hold time after the cook is done? What was that again, Ryan? Yeah, we are. I, I like them done. I don't like them done too early. A lot of guys try to get them done, you know, eight. I like them done anywhere between 10 and 11 um, is, is kind of 
where we've found our optimal holding time. And I'll let them breathe a bit. Uh, I'll let the steam out, and I'll put them in the Cambros, um, and they'll stay there and, until turning time. All right, so Scott, are you looking for a, you know X amount of time to hold before you want to get after it? Um, mine normally are in the Cambro sometime between, I'd say, 9.30 and 10.30, probably within that hour window. And uh, they sit until we pull them out right before turning. I mean, right after pork, we pull it out and bring it in and open it up and let it dry out a little bit and get to slicing. All right, so I mean that pretty much is going to wrap up the cooking portion. Uh, I mean, as far as the, the post-cook things, I mean, obviously everybody's building boxes. Um, do you guys have teammates that are building boxes for you, or you guys take a, an active part in that? Uh, what about you, Mike? Uh, my wife builds two and a half boxes, and I build one and a half. Uh, she gets the base uh, done for the chicken and the brisket, uh, half of the rib box, and I have to do the rest because she doesn't like to do parsley. And then I do all the pork box because it's kind of complicated, and she doesn't want to mess with it. Ryan, do you have uh, designated boxers? Yeah, my most always amazing wife, uh, Sonia, uh, has always made made the boxes for me, so I'm very lucky. <laughs> Scott, do you have boxers too? Yeah, about a year ago I got out of the box-making business, and uh, my wife and little girl take care of that now for me, so I act like it never happens. Now, let me ask I don't this. Say shit. I mean, you guys say, uh, or you guys are in uh, Kansas City Barbecue Society, uh, and I'm not looking to, to make you know a diatribe or have anybody give a dissertation on this. Maybe you don't even give a shit about it, but th- the garnish kind of stands in my mind in this like obscure thing or, or like purgatory. It's it, it's it's listed as optional. It's not mandatory. Uh, would you like to see it either voted in as mandatory? Or voted, you know, out altogether versus just leaving it in this optional state. I can't imagine that any one of you three would decide that, hey, this is a great competition where I'm going to decide to not garnish a box and feel pretty good about your chances turning in. Mike, what do you think about that? Well, I know it's optional, and until somebody consistently wins without garnish, I'm putting it in the box. Uh, Realistically, I would like to see garnish uh, done away with. Um, you know, the last thing, you know, all of our meat is bought for this competition. We're going up to, uh, well, with Ryan, we're going to go up to Rockford, Illinois, to the Sam's region. Yeah. All of our meat's been bought, and I've got some of it trimmed. Tomorrow before uh, we get ready to pack up, I have to go and buy, you know, some lettuce and some parsley. It's, it's always an extra trip. And we buy, I don't know how much of it, uh, 90% of it goes in the damn garbage. It's just wasted. Um, it's easier to build a box without it. And people say, well, your stuff will move around. I tell you what, we've done a contest where there's no garnish allowed, uh, like the uh, Douglas Georgia contest. And we did a, a propane cook-off one time. And uh, all you do is cut little slices of meat here or there. And you can poke them under there and uh, hold your meat fine. Uh, but until, like I say, until uh, the, the rule is uh, garnish is, is done away with or somebody wins consistently, we're going to keep doing it. Ryan, would you like to to see garnish brought off of the the the, uh, the purgatory it sits in? Mike, Mike, you can't. Uh, you don't have any chickens. You can feed your extra parsley to. That's what we do. <laughs> uh, I don't own any chickens. My cats and dogs are not vegetarians. <laughs> well, I'll take your parsley this weekend. We feed it to the chickens. Um, yeah, I personally, uh, I I like the look of that nice green frame around my perfectly prepared meat. Um, I, I, aesthetically, it appeals to me. 
and I've done one contest with with uh, with where garnish was not allowed, um, and I didn't. I was <laughs> I was like totally lost in that in that world, um, and I didn't think anything looked good. And maybe it's just because I was used to yeah. uh, the 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 way the parsley box looks, but. I know it's a, it's a lot of extra work and it's it's a pain for everybody that has to do it. Luckily, my wife is the one that bears that burden. But uh, um, uh, you know, I I think the meat aesthetically looks better with the garnish around it. Scott, uh, do you would you like to see a definite yes or definite no on garnish? I don't know. I mean, it it, it almost frames the the box and the meat. You know, it makes it look so so much more pleasant when you have the garnish in there that, and we're so used to doing it that I, I don't know that I would change until, you know, if they, if they cast it off on everybody, you know, and no one could use garnish, then yeah, I'm assuming we'd have to rethink the way we do things, but I don't, I'm not really opposed to garnish. I think it's okay. All right. Uh, yes, go ahead, Mike. Well, what it's going to, what'll happen one of these days I suspect is that, uh, We'll get a table of uh, six judges sick with E. coli from uh, uh, lettuce that hasn't been washed. You know, it's funny. We have all these rules in KCBS on how you have to take care of the meat and the temperatures you have to hold it at. But with garnish, there's no rules that you have to wash it or keep it refrigerated. You know, I suspect some of it comes from South America. And the people that are picking it are, are wiping their ass with some of the leaves as, as they uh, <laughs> take a dump out in the field. So that's probably what's going to happen wow. these days. And uh, I, I, you know, I admit, I, the box looks better with garnish, but uh, but there again, you know, uh, I prefer it's just you know it's just more work. I guess you know the, the the reason I continue to go back to the question is because it is listed as optional. If it's you have to garnish a box. Fine. Everybody's going to do it. It's part of the rules, and you're done. If it's not, nobody's going to do it. And it's not when it's optional. I continue to find, and I'm going to be devil's advocate because I'm an idiot talk show host that doesn't compete, and this is what I can talk about because I'm an idiot. Um, but it, it, when it's optional, to me, if I'm opening the box and you three are turning it in with garnish, and I'm turning it in without garnish, there should be visually to the judge no discrepancy whatsoever between my naked box and your garnish box if mine tastes better than yours. And we bo- and we all know that that's complete horseshit. I'm going to get scored down because I don't have green in my box. And that's where my point of contention is with the optional category. Put it in, put it out, but at least one way or the other so I can stop talking about it. Nobody wants to hear me talk about this for crying out loud. All right, uh, guys, before I let you go, I want to do a little uh, self-promotion for you guys. Uh, we'll start with Mike. Uh, obviously, you're going to be at the uh, regional event. What else is going on with uh, QWOW that you can tell us about that you'd like to get out there? Um, well, I don't know. We've got a big Western trip planned. Uh, we're going to head up to, after uh, the Sam's Club. We're heading up to Rochester, Minnesota, and I believe Ryan will be at that one. Um, from there, we'll leave and do a uh, contest at the Billings, uh, Montana. What's well, a state fair there. It's actually a wednesday thursday contest wow. and we leave there and do a friday saturday contest in world Wyoming. so we're going to do three contests in like 10 days and uh that'll be our big trip for the uh summer and then uh we come home and cook close to home until like all the royal and uh hopefully we might get lucky and draw into the jack uh who knows and uh, uh you know that's just the same old stuff every year uh ryan uh, again you're going to be at rockford as well uh, anything else going on with big t's q crew that you'd like to talk about tonight um, no, not really. I mean, we're going to like, 
like Mike said, we're going to be up in Rochester the week after and then head down to Excelsior Springs. Uh, we were fortunate enough to win the Apple Blossom Barbecue um, earlier this spring. And along with Excelsior Springs, they have uh, uh, the Northwest Missouri State Grand Championship where it's the combined scores uh, with both uh, over both contests. Um, and we actually were fortunate enough to win that last year, so we'll hopefully uh, do well enough to, to do that again this year. So that's that's coming up in a couple of weeks. And then Albert Lee, the Big Island Barbecue, we love that going up there to that contest. Love going up to Minnesota um, in general. My dad lives up there, and uh, so we'll, we'll be up there two of the next three weeks. So. Uh, and then we'll end with Scott Key, Little Pig Town. Uh, what's happening over at uh, LPT? Well, this weekend we're going to take one off so Ryan can run off and get more points for me to chase him down on. <laughs> and then I got to go to no a, points. There's no we're going to go to yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then we're going to go to Dillon, Colorado, and I think we come back to Emporia, Kansas, and oh, I don't remember where we go. A couple more in Kansas, I think. But it's just the you know how it is. The end of the year, everybody's running after anyone they can, trying to catch them. Uh, Scott, will you be making a concerted effort for Team of the Year? Oh, yeah, for sure. Ryan? Yeah, I, I, I think we're in a position where we have to see where it goes from here. Absolutely. Uh, Mike? Uh, you know what? We didn't do enough big contests this year. Uh, it's it's pretty remote chance. I just wanted to point out to Scott that, uh, there, that <laughs> neither Ryan or I will be getting any brisket points this week. Uh, because the regional, there's no points for it. That, so, correct. That is correct. Uh, this oh, will be your chance. Your, thank your God. Chance you, you should, Even though you're Scott, you should point, not take this week off. I know. Damn it. So maybe I can bird dog into one somehow. No doubt. We'll see. Uh, all right, uh, so uh, we have uh, Mike Wozniak from QOW. Uh, Ryan Newstrom, Big T's Q Crew, and Scott Key from Little Pigtown. Uh, guys, certainly appreciate you uh, taking this hour plus with me tonight talking about your brisket techniques and a uh, huge uh, uh, instant chat room as well going crazy about it. So, again, appreciate you uh, freely giving up the information and a continued success to all you guys this weekend and, the, and for the rest of the competition season. Very cool. Thanks, Thank Greg. You. All right, guys, take care. There they are. The Big Three. Mike Wozniak, Ryan Newstrom. And Scott Key, Little Pigtown. I'm right here. All right, got to do this read real quick. For Barbecuers Delight Wood Pellets, of course. Now, I have a pellet fired cooker. Of course I do. So I'm thinking, man, I need to really figure it out. Where am I going to go for wood pellets? <laughs> Not even a question. Of course I'm going to go to Candy Weaver. And barbecuers delight wood pellets. Of course I am. Now, you might be asking yourself, what about these barbecuers delight wood pellets? These are made with this uh, cellular structure. All of the air is evacuated, thus uh, concentrating the wood into a very dense form. It's much denser than natural trees. And when you compare it to the other wood flavor enhancers, pellets will yield a more intense smoke more quickly, which seals the food in. Uh, which seals that flavor in. Now, since pellets have been processed from sawdust, it eliminates any of the contaminations that might be present as well. And uh, this process produces a sterile smoking wood product of consistent quality. Pellets easy to use since you don't soak in water prior to use. And you can blend them for different flavor profiles all across the world. 
Uh, here's what you need to do. Go buy yourself some barbecues like wood pellets. BBQRSDelight.com. Check out all the flavors they have. And stop fussing with the sticks and the chunks. Backyard warriors and competition cooks alike agree that Barbecuers Delight makes the best pellets out there. Uh, we're wrapping up quickly. And by quickly, I mean super quick. Stick around. We'll be right back. Get in the smoke. Call 877-448-0433 to get on the air. Now, here's your host, Greg Rampey. All right, uh, we are back. Uh, three Eyes Barbecue weighing in saying that their briskets are like shoe leather. Yeah, right. Uh, you just want another one. My math might be off, Dan, but that might be like six out of the last seven that you've uh, been in or six out of the last eight that you've won. Not too bad, partner. Doing something right. All right, let's uh, go ahead and wrap it up. First hour, all the way back in the first hour, we had uh, Mike McDearman. Remember Mike? Talked about steak cooking, his recipe for properly cooking steak, backing off the heat. Preheating the grill to 325 to 350, grilling it at that point from fridge to grill. Five to seven minutes on the first side, then you flip it, and you go to 142 degrees internal temperature on that second side. So you're cooking to internal temperature only. And then you let it rest five to seven minutes. And then the monster barbecue brisket competition roundtable by Newstrom, Mike Wozniak from QO, uh, Ryan Newstrom from Big Q Crew. And uh, Scott Key from Little Pig Town, breaking it all down. Didn't leave one feather out. So go back and get it. Uh, sure to be a huge downloaded show as usual. Big crowd tonight on the uh, chat room as well. It's back off a little bit. Uh, look, big show next week already. Good things lined up. Uh, if you use raw cast iron grates, let me help you control the rust or the rusty grill grate population. Raw cast iron can rust easily when not taken care of. Every time you use it, as it starts to cool down, hit a little bit of pan, a little Crisco, let it burn in. You're going to get years of rust-free service. You can pass them right down to your kids, just like Mike and I were talking about a little earlier. Also, September 11, 2001, I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now. <laughs>